At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. When America falls, it might take the entire world with it. Mm. Who controls media? Money. White. People said no. You can't be a great black man in America without a great black woman. The biggest problem with masculinity is that I'm tired of this. I force people to respect me, but it's probably not the black man that they want. It's the black man that you may need. It's the one that comes to shake things up. It's the one that make you feel uncomfortable sometimes. I appreciate my pops for teaching me how to be a guy. From a boy to a man and ultimately back into the natural state of being into a guy. As guys, we're supposed to always move with that higher self. And I have to be able to execute it. Having knowledge is not power. The execution of knowledge is power. Knowledge makes a man unfit to be a slave. Because the only real knowledge you can get is knowledge of self. Well, welcome to another episode of High Level Conversations. In the world, there are a lot of mythos about Black America, about culture, about Black men, about media, about life, right? About masculinity, about just about everything. But what is the reality of it? The reality of it is what we actually experience, right? And each person has a different perspective based on their experiences that they construct that becomes their truth. And the dominant truth are the experiences that the most people have that they can relate with. Sometimes they're influenced to believe that that's their experience when it's not. Because we have this ability to get on media and we can control minds by simply telling the story a certain way, appealing to emotions. There are... Um, clubs within our culture that everybody is not privy to, right? Sometimes the club is just information, right? Sometimes it's an actual club that you can't get in. It's <laughs> networks that you can't get access to regardless because those clubs have decided that we don't need you or your services are not welcome or you're not big enough, right? And it's meant those of the Black American experience 
I believe that we're still trying to construct what is the actual truth that we want to move forward to and what is the future we want to have because we haven't took a consensus to say this is the black American future that we want. So we're still learning. We're still pulling from each other. We're still what I believe is going to a natural and organic phases of an immature um, growth spurt into what we want to be in the future. But the problem is, is that there's a lot of disruptions and those disruptions are political, scientific, technological, right? They're psychological. There are many disruptions on our path to growing up. And we feel like we are individuals as a part of a collective. But at the same time, there is no true collective. There are numbers that we put on paper that say represents the collective, but there's no longer a walk outside. Hey, brother. Hey, sis. That doesn't exist as our culture. Hmm. Not yet. But there are people within the culture that we call this culture that I believe are voices that are necessary, that are outspoken, that are challenging, that comes from different sides, different perspectives, that are sometimes spooks who are able to give the game and then go build something themselves that can represent possibly the future that we want. When I think about those voices in this world, there are a few of them that come to mind. Right. And I think that we don't realize how small this club is of the black voices that represent from a mainstream level. Right. The person that I have on today, I believe, is one of those voices. His voices has created, I think, moments in our history that will further the trajectory of where we want to be and challenge the trajectory of where we are. Right. Van Jones. (laughs) 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 You got me. Well, I'm just, I'm sitting here like, boy, there's some high praise for no, my team, but you brought me back. You got to do that. Y'all bring me back down. I'm just kidding. Van Lathan. Um, is, 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 he's, he's, he's one of our bald-headed black men, you know, that, <laughs> that represents in media and represents in culture. And I think that he also has a, a strength that is not often defined. Um, and appreciate it because we don't really look at the different array of colors and spectrums of black men on this planet Earth and really appreciate them. Mm. I don't think we do that at all. We pick what is the archetype that it's supposed to be. And usually if you don't fit within that, then we don't respect you. Mm. If you're not Democrat, if you're not Republican, if you're not this, that or the third. So I know for myself coming from a background where I force people to respect me, but it's probably not the black man that they want. Mm. Right. It's the black man that you may need. It's the one that comes to shake things up. It's the one that make you feel uncomfortable sometimes. But you're like, ah, I don't know. You're challenging my sensibilities. You're challenging my level of comfortability. When I just got in this room and start shaking hands and smiling with these folks, and here you come to make me feel like maybe I shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> so but my whole thing is that's not your problem with me. It's your problem with yourself. Because mm. you should be comfortable with whatever you're doing, regardless of who's in the room. Right. Right? And... Ever since I met you, you've always given me high praise. Word and up. I appreciated that. Mm-hmm. I believe it was an article in the Rolling Stone. I can't remember. It was, I think it was Rolling Stone. It uh, or... might have been. Oh, talking about when I was talking about you? Yeah. Oh, it was Interview Mag, I think it was. Yeah. It might have been Interview Mag. It might have been Interview Mag. I can't remember. It was like around the first time of the pandemic. I can't remember. Yeah. The, the, and, and I didn't really know the brother from, from anything, but he gave me high praise as a thought leader and a coach. And it was one of the first times somebody... You know, I think uh, in the media, if you will, had given me any accolades whatsoever. So I always appreciated you well, since that day. And I just believe that you 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 represent a different nuance mm. because I think you have 
I never think ignorance when I think of you, mm -hmm. right? Regardless of what perspective you're given, I know you know the other side of it, right? Right. And when I see that, I can respect a person. Ignorance is hard to respect because a lot of times the ignorance is done intentional. People don't want to know the other side. They only want their side for their agenda so they can continue to push whatever they're pushing. Mm -hmm. But when I know you like, I might be saying this, but I also understand all of this context around it. Right. Right. Now I know that that's a man because a man moves in logic. Right. A man that doesn't want to understand, I can't trust. Yeah, I can't even believe in. I can't rock with. I can't just sit around and have conversations because you're intentionally and willful denying an aspect of yourself mm. because that part of yourself will make you man up and move towards the truth that you know. Where? Welcome to high level conversations. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good with the word. Let me ask you a question, man. Sure. Um, I'm just thinking about America mm. and America's future. And I was having a conversation with my brother Steve on our Man and Man show. And we was talking about, and I had this conversation with Rashad as well from UIL. And we was talking about America is going to be like Great Britain, right? Becoming a relic of their once glorious past, if mm -hmm. you will. If you go over to Paris and you look at the buildings, right? This beautiful architecture, this the old rusted Eiffel Tower. But the culture that's there now is the culture that's imported, the fashion shows and things of that nature. It's no longer a glorious nation, mm -hmm. right? And America is in this phase of the fall of America to where I believe that it's going to be a relic of its past, mm. right? Especially when you think about technology and innovation. In the Roaring Twenties, the American spirit of the individual was innovation right. that we're going to create, we're going to invent, we're going to do all these things. It was a renaissance. That was the American spirit. The American spirit today is civil disobedience, civil war, right? Issues, problems, um, fear, right? This is the sentiment of the day, even though we're in this great time of technology. And I think that's partially because individuals no longer even get credit for any innovation in America's corporations. Mm -hmm. America is no longer about the individual. All the news that spread is about the corporate success. Mm -hmm. Microsoft reached three trillion, Apple reached a trillion, Elon trillions. It's no longer about the people, right? The American people has been taken out of the equation of America. Mm -hmm. And so the American people's spirit is no longer involved in America. So that American spirit has died off. And now all we have is American oligarchies and American corporatism and things of that nature. So what do you think is the future of America? Uh, that's very well laid out. I don't think that there's much future going the way things are going right now. Mm. Um, there are too many emperors that are naked, too mm. many emperors with no clothes on. Nothing about the country right now is real. And so the way to me societies run, they're based on the fundamentals of those societies. And the fundamentals of those societies are always going to be stable homes, workers, uh, the ability to move up and the ability to have skin in the game. Right. This is this is meme. I know you've seen it. The difference between boss and leader. I'm sure you, I'm sure you've mm. seen that. Excuse me. The boss is somebody up there telling you yeah. to do something. The leader is down there with you. The real genius of the, about that meme is they're saying the difference between boss and leader is connection. Mm. Right. A boss is disconnected on high telling you what they need to do so that you can enrich them. Mm. A leader is one of you 
that you've put your faith into, that you've decided can take you to the next place. But you guys are essentially the same, right? America has become a nation of bosses Mm. devoid of leaders. Mm. Because in order to be a leader, the elitism, the like the people have to feel that your interests and their interests are aligned. Mm. They have to feel that like what's good for you is good for them. And what's good for them is good for you. They know that that's not true now. Mm. There's been enough time of, there's been enough perversion of financial markets. There's been enough social and political uprest. There's been enough marginalization of people to where they know that that's not true. But what they are waiting for, what everyone is always waiting for in any time when things are bad is the emergence of leadership. They're waiting for someone who can come and actually be that. Mm -hmm. It's not too late. And I actually have a lot of hope that through conversation, work, toil, sacrifice, that there is a very capable generation of leaders who can look at society, look at culture, and if not fix it, like make it anew to where things don't devolve. And I'll tell you why I think that's important. When America falls, it might take the entire world with it. Mm. Because when you look at the very specific uh, attitude of Western European dominance, which America is the poster child for, um, the death rattle there is always destructive. Mm. When, like when, when during the French Revolution, when the people took control of Paris and Paris, of France and France fell, some heads rolled, right? It changed some things. It had reverberations all over the place. Some of these other places, when Britain fell, uh, there was some political upheaval. Colonialism or imperialism around the world fell. When America falls, there are going to be people here that are really going to believe that the civilized world doesn't deserve to exist if America isn't at the head of the table. Mm. Um, and there's a deep psychosis of particularly white American supremacy that I think would rebel to the last cell in their body and really hurt a lot of people and damage a lot of things. I'm talking about global financial systems. I'm talking about just straight up warfare. I'm talking about social orders all over the place. Uh, geopolitical disruption. Um, and so the decline of, Amer- of America is, it, it, while it may be imminent, I'm hoping, I'm hoping for the sake of the people in my community and for the sake of uh, the world community that someone can at least stem the tide. Mm. You know, it's interesting as you were giving the uh, breakdown of the boss and the leader about connection. It actually makes me think about Donald Trump and Biden. Hmm. And I believe that's why Trump's base rocks with him because hmm. they feel like he's a leader. And where Biden has zero connection, right? They feels like he just represents the old guard and the boss. Hmm. What's true doesn't matter in these circumstances when we talk about politics. It matters how you feel. It matter how you feel. And especially if the people feel that the agenda of their leader is in connection with them because you're going against the status quo. You're going against you see all these people coming against you. And this is how the people feel today. They feel like they're overtaxed. They feel like 
the uh, quality of living has decreased in America. They feel like they have allowed foreign interests to completely take over and control America. And so for them, Trump represents some of that old guard again, right? Some of those so-called American values. And they feel like, wait a minute, if if you're against the government and we want the government to change, then you must be one of us. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because like, as you laid that out, I've never really contextualized or tried to articulate the true reason why so many people are ready to get on board with Donald Trump over Joe Biden. And it's also partially of the fact that the Democrats are kind of just handing it to them because they're not trying to even lay out a leader, mm -hmm. right? I think the, the their desperation is seeping very high during this particular election. And they're not, they don't have any new tactics. It just seems like the old playbook. And it seems like you're not giving us anything to go for, not even any new talking points. And it, it almost makes me look at the people who usually politically rally for Democrats. And it's like, you're not even giving them much to go off of now. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's actually destroying them and that connection they have with their base, because it's like, yeah, when you have to lay out a point and then be like, OK, I get what you guys are saying. But still, it's like, no, connect with me. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You just heard what I said is my issue with them. And then you telling me that regardless of my issue, right, regardless of the logic of it, regardless of how I feel, I should still go this way without them having to give me anything right, to remedy any of my problems with them. Right. And I think that the Democrats are doing the, the worst job that I've seen them do in history uh, when it comes to campaigning against the Republican uh, nominee or, you know, uh, person. I don't, I'm not a political person. I don't sure. even know all these words. Yeah. But you get what I'm saying. Of course, yeah. So, I mean, obviously you're not wrong. So it, the, the, the real problem is this. Um. Mark Twain, Mark Twain quote, it's not what you don't know that'll get you. It's what you're absolutely sure of mm. that just ain't so. Mm. Right? Think about it all the time. Humbles me. It's not what you don't know. It's what you really do know that's just a lie. Right? And when I think about uh, politics through that spectrum, I think about what the American public thinks they know. Mm. You know, like, what do they think that they know? Like, what do what do Trump supporters think that they know? What do Democrats think that they know? What do they think that they know? Mm. They're sure of it, right? Mm. They're sure that the left is a party of inclusion, a party of progress, a party of uh, of um, of trailblazing. They're sure of it. But what if that's not the case? What if what you really are dealing with is two wings of corporate politicians who because of money and politics and because of changing American priorities don't have any sort of interest into anything other than maintaining power. Right? And if people feel that, if people feel that you're not we talk about taxes, right? To, to, I was talking to um, a friend of mine, really rich, you know because uh, you know all the rich people. Like, it, it, like, I was talking to a friend of mine. Really, I, I was talking to a friend of mine, really rich, very wealthy guy. And he said something to me. He goes, you know, I'm getting taxed. And, you know, you start doing a little while, a, a little bit better. And they, they hit your pockets, right? It, it happens. So it's like, he's like, 
it's not that I have a problem with the rate that I'm being taxed at. It's that I don't know what the money is doing. Mm. It's that I don't know where it's going. Mm. If you could tell me right now that the tax rate that I'm paying is benefiting people, if you could tell me right now that this money isn't being wasted, that there's some kid eating because of it, that there's some education program being started because of it, that someone is getting healthcare right. because of it. If you could tell me right now that I'm actually investing back into America, I wouldn't have a problem with it. But I know intellectually that they're f***ing it off. Mm-hmm. But I know that it's building bombs to drop on brown people somewhere. I know that that's where the majority of the money is going. And so I say all that to say that what the Democrats have to do to me, for, I, I, I intellectually know that the base of the Republican Party is so viciously racist, right, that they would shoot themselves in the foot before really letting too many people in. I'm from the Deep South. And so being from the Deep South, I know that there's a psychosis and that psychosis exists. And it's as simple as this. This is the psychosis. We ain't f***ing with no That's the psychosis. And even that, that... That's something that had to be cultivated in America to maintain the capitalist order that existed here. So when you when the Pope first says, hey, go to Africa, get the black people, that's okay, right? Well, you're going to do that, right? And at some point, you're going to grab somebody from Africa, right? First, you go, first of all, you see these people and you know that there's something about them. So there's a threat there imminently, right? But when you start grabbing those people, you see a mother being separated for, from her kid. You see a father. You see all of this carnage and this danger. And the God inside of you, God exists inside of everyone, knows it's wrong. The white man put himself in a trick bag because over generations, he had to actually con himself into believing that people were subhuman to in, in order to maintain their capitalist status quo that they had here in America, right? I, I'm saying that that has a beginning, but what I'm saying is that it's real. And now there are people that just don't want to be around black people. They just don't. Like I've been around, they just don't want to be around black people. If that's the base of your party, it's going to be difficult for you to actually serve those people unless it benefits you in certain way. What about people that will say, well, that is the base of the Democratic Party, though? You could. You could say that, too. Well, it, it is, though, like as a factual thing. In right? terms of what? As the Democrats started as the white supremacy party. Right. For sure. Right. You go back to Wilmington, North Carolina, right, when they was destroying black towns mm-hmm. because they were afraid, right, of the rise of black America. Right. Right? I like the crafty cost. Is that keys? Yeah. What's your name, brother? My name is Cedric Harrison, man. Cedric Harrison? Yeah, that's my tour business right there. Uh, Yeah. It's a big blessing. Big blessing for the city, man. 19 keys. We need this. Word. Keys for mayor, man. That's amazing. Because of the tragic event that happened in 1898, racial violence that we all know about from all over the nation, but the uniqueness of taking away our political power, nothing has ever uh, been put in place to repair those effects. And so this is what I've been doing on my journey to try to repair, right? Because with repair is education and economics. And so I literally built the business around teaching the history of the uniqueness of my city and how it is very much so uh, effective to the whole entire nation. And so we want to bring the Brother 19 Keys here and use the wonderful world global platform that he has to put a spotlight on it because what he's talking about is aligned right with the things that people had to sacrifice, the things that people had to go out 
and grab and learn and soak in to come back and build and create the things that they created that we get to tell people about now on the tour bus. Right? Specifically, the, 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 the fear that they had, not of us doing anything to them, but us being left alone to do our own thing. Right. Right. And then we had our own political parties that we had ties to that we were winning. And they started utilizing the media against black people. And in that utilization of the media, they put out all these lies and they stoked fears that black men were taking all the white women. Right. <laughs> and then right. one of the Age brothers, old. I forget his name, but he owned the newspaper at the time. And he had, uh, I think he, he, he waited or they took an article that he had wrote when it was saying that they coming after us. We ain't going after them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. But they took that, I think, maybe two years later or something, and they printed it. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of white folks, they, they uh, uh, didn't have a great literacy rate, so, but they understand propaganda cartoons. They can see the so picture. they pushed it out there. Right. So it's like when you go into that, probably up to the 1960s, right, after JFK was killed, and then you start to see a switch of mm -hmm. the Democrats and the Republicans. That's what most people say. I think the... The foundation of the party is not truthfully spoken about in the sense that when you talk about Republicans and Democrats in this country, you know, people like Democrats started off from a base of racism as well. Sure. That has never truly been uprooted. But I feel like the reality of it is, is it went quiet, but it still existed in the policies. So this is what I would say to that. I would say when I say base, I mean the people who make up the base of the party. The history of the Democratic Party certainly is of white supremacy, they started the KKK, mm -hmm. right? Um, and the Republicans, particularly the radical Republicans, if you're talking about, if we're just talking politics here, guys like Thaddeus Stevens, all of that, the seven missing years after slavery, all of that was led by Republicans. PBS Pitchback, uh, first black governor of Louisiana, all of those guys were black Republicans. The switch happened um, based upon a lot of things, mm -hmm. really more after World War II, um, but it happened, right? What What, what happened was, for whatever reason, be it New Deal politics, uh, be it poor white planters who, so FDR is a Democrat. The New Deal, the, the New Deal comes out. He, he has a New Deal, sweeping, sweeping social programs to get people out of the depression. Well, a lot of those New Deal policies were going to benefit black people. They don't want to do that. They just don't. The South chose the Southern part of the United States. It chose poverty over equality. It chose that because if a black man had to get something, if a black man had to benefit, if a black woman had to benefit, we would rather not have it. We would like literally rather not have it. Or we would rather drip it to the point to where it is so watered down that there's no possible way for it to actually affect the amount of people that it was supposed to affect. The change in strategy, Dr. King, Mega Evers, all of these guys, they got Democrats to act on behalf of black people, Voting Rights Act, Civil Rights Act, things like that. They got them to do that. That that happened. Doesn't mean that the party doesn't have a racist uh, a, a racist history. What I would say right now is really the the strongest base of the Democratic Party are black women. Black women vote the highest numbers for the Democrats. They are the surest voting block for the Democrats. If you go out there right now, uh, black women are going to vote for Democrats 97% out of the mm -hmm. time. Black men a little bit less than that. So the base of the party certainly isn't racist against black people. Do if, you think, not to cut your wisdom, okay, but do yeah, you yeah. think that black women's um, agenda is aligned with black men's agenda in today's time politically? No. Not, not wholly. And I think 
there's a lot of reasons for it. Um, some of them are demographic. Uh, for example, these are just statistics. You have a higher, you have a higher um, chance of being liberal-minded if you went to college. Mm. Colleges foster liberal thought. They're liberal places, liberal expression. Mm -hmm. Black women are going to college at higher rates than black men. Mm. So black men are finding their way into entrepreneurship more. They're finding their way. Uh, you know, there's a cultural conversation about whether me and you had a conversation on IG about um, whether whether or not people need to go to college. And your your people tore my ass up. Um, <laughs> it, it, but but so which is a nuanced conversation. Nuanced conversation. Nuanced. I, conversation. I hate comments. I hate comment conversations because you. I, first of all, once I get a full thought, I don't feel like typing it all the way out. Yeah, and nobody's gonna read that. So you never get you. You try to condense as much in a small point right as up. possible, which can never cover even your agreements and disagreements with the person you're talking to. Yeah. So there are reasons why that's that's happening, and just for all kinds of reasons that are demographic and cultural, it's just not it's it's not the same. Like sisters are really really doubling and tripling down on mm -hmm. college education, and that in and of itself. When those two things are aligned, it's just going to change the way people see the world. And your values. And your values, right? It's going to change the way you see the world. It's going to change the way your values. So then there's a lot more work that has to be done just like in the community to keep those bonds together. I'm, in, I'm like, man, let's open the community center and just have a mixer. Mm -hmm. It's like a singles. I'm not talking about the club. I'm talking about everybody come around and we just hang out and talk. I think I might start doing some of them networking events. Yeah, actually. just let people find each other. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, but but to that point though, if because and I say that because when people speak about let's say black women being a part of the Democratic Party and things of that nature, and I think it was a it was a white guy, he he had praised the question like, if white black women are always blaming white supremacy, why do they always marry white men? Right? That was the question that he had posed on. Why do black women marry white? We're talking about the ones in politics. Oh, okay. So he was specifically talking about those summers and, you know, the ones that's in politics. Yeah. He started to list off a bunch of them. He was like, they all have white male spouses, but then they will go and say white men are the issue. And it's not to say that it's not true. Mm -hmm. Right? But it does speak towards when we speak upon black women being part of the democratic, especially when we speaking to black men, where it's like, yeah, I get that, but their values and their agenda is different than what I would want for the country, mm -hmm. right? So it's no longer this connected thing to be like, oh, that's black people. No, that's black women specifically, this new group of black women who are educated and who now have different values and different ways that they wanna go about living and different things that are important to them in the system right, that they want to change. And so we are politically disconnected for the first time in history, right? Right, Where what you want and what I want is completely different. And so there's no longer this thing where you can say, hey, black women are formed and that represents black people or black men is formed and that represents black people. It's like, no, you got to now break down these nuances. Mm -hmm. These are new voter groups because they're in a completely new place in history and time now. Right, I, I agree. What I would say is that Black people and their affiliation with the Democratic Party is problematic to me. Like, mm -hmm. I left the Democratic Party some time ago. Uh, I just need a return. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm a liberal. Don yeah. the Wool, everybody some knows that. Some kind of ROI. Like, like, like every, every, everybody knows I'm a liberal. I'm a, I'm a liberal. I'm a bleeding heart liberal. You get me talking, you're going not, you're gonna like, not like some of the things that you hear. But what I do, I'm also a serious person. And so, like, I need to be taken seriously. Mm. So I go to a restaurant, right? 
the waiter comes out. The waiter is nice. The, let's say, let's, let's make the waiter. The, the server is a beautiful woman. Mm. Beautiful woman, right? Gorgeous woman. Love looking at her, love talking to her. She's beautiful. She's interesting. She's all of that. At some point, I got to get my food brought to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, at some point, like, all right, listen. Like, you, you know what I mean? You can you Where can talk at, you can talk nice, you can look nice. Good analogy. It could be all of that. At some point, yeah. I gotta get my food. Yeah. And if I don't get my food, I gotta go eat somewhere else, or we have to have a serious conversation yeah. about what to hold up in the kitchen. Well, Biden did bring chicken to them black people. Yeah, he brought some cookout. So 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 what I'm saying is. If 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 there's something, if there's a problem in the kitchen that's stopping us from eating, yeah. we at least gotta be able to talk to our elected officials about what the problem is. Right. And any questioning of the left or the Democrats cannot be seen as bending the knee to MAGA or embracing Donald Trump that. or his or his white nationalist wing of uh, 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 of American future and politics. We have got to be able to have a conversation where we prioritize ourselves and not our debt. That I 100% agree with you because it stars the conversation mm -hmm. and it doesn't allow it to, 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 to be had because the moment you agree with something that Trump says, the problem is not what Trump said, it's what y'all didn't say. Mm -hmm. If Trump says that he's against CBDC coins and, and black people are like, yo, okay, I'm, I'm agreeing with limiting government control of our money as well. Then you'd be like, well, what about all the other things? And it's like, no, the point is we would want Joe Biden to say that or mm -hmm. the other candidates to say that as well. So when you're not able to logically agree with somebody on nuanced points because I'm supposed to be wholeheartedly with you regardless because your campaign is anything but Trump, you don't even leave room for a person to have discussion. Mm -hmm. Right now you become like a dictator of my opinion, my thoughts, my ideas. And then that could make a person vote against you, period, because you telling me that I'm supposed to go with you just because whether my food comes out or not, right. I'm supposed to just rock with you. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? The goddamn building could be on fire and I'm still supposed to rock with you because you go tell me what somebody else did. At some point in time, your lack of doing anything for me is worse what they're doing to me. Here's the thing with you. You're unafraid. So being unafraid changes the way you look at things. Mm. So. It, the for people I talked we talked about this on the podcast not too long ago for people that have been uh so assailed in the time that they've been here you know for people that have been so murdered raped butchered um for for black people and you know it's very important for people to understand the history there's a great book called uh, from here to equality by Dr. Sandy Darity that talks about the case for reparations and a good thing that the book lays out is not just um, why reparations were, are owed for slavery and Jim Crow, but the attempts that black people made to realize the American dream, mm. the land ownership that black people went out and got. But more black people owned land in 1905 than they own now. Mm -hmm. They went out and they bought land. Mm -hmm. They went out and they did the thing. Mm -hmm. They established colleges. Mm -hmm. They did all of this stuff. Everything that you were supposed to do in order to see ascension in America, like black people did it. Right. And every time they did it, I, I, I hate to be this binary with it. Every time they did it, white people said no. Right. And I mean, I'm, and, and there's, and, and I don't want to get into a whole boogeyman situation here because no. this is high level conversation. Well, I think that that's where the, the people that are what they call the right, right? The Republicans, 
I think that that's where they fail in their conversation is they never acknowledge that. Right. So it's not it's, there's there's this this idea of of laziness and shiftlessness. Nah, man. Banks, schools, hospital, land ownership, all of that. And every time, no, whether it was terrorism, whether it was usury, contract buying schemes, whether it was urban renewal, we're going to take what you have and make sure you don't have nothing. We don't want to share the country with you. And the only reason why I say that is because when you have that, that, that history, that trauma, um, safety feels like the goal. Mm. To me, safety is not the goal. Power is, right? Yeah, it is. And so safety feels like the goal. So anybody that can give you the illusion of safety, any place where you feel safe, and you feel seen is where you'll go. Mm-hmm. So if it feels safer with the Democrats, right, because you know that the other side won't even acknowledge the right. fact that they tried to kill you, acknowledge the fact of slavery, acknowledge all of these things, they won't even talk about that. So immediately our trauma response is unsafe, unsafe, have to stop them. And so if you who is unafraid or anyone who is unafraid has a conversation that goes, yeah, but what I want to do is build generational wealth, change my community, do all of these things. And I'm looking at the best option to do that. I don't feel unsafe. I'm strapped up. I got the knowledge in my head. I got the people around me. I'm actually, I don't feel unsafe. Like I, I what I want is to build on what we're supposed to be building on. There's going to be a glitch in the conversation that you have with someone. And I'm not saying anybody's right or wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying sometimes when I talk to people, I have to say, okay. Straight up. All right. You think that my criticism of uh, the party that I typically caucus with, you think that my criticism of the party empowers evil. All right. Let me tell you what I'm trying to do. I come from a place where and I don't want to get all off the uh, get all emotional and off the, but like where I come from, just to be honest with you, I'm sick of it. Everybody dies of cancer. People get murdered. Everybody in jail. Like I'm tired of this. Mm hmm. Like I'm like, I buried my uncle a couple of weeks ago. I didn't bury my dad. I didn't bury my other uncle. I'm sick of it. Mm -hmm. There's got to be a way around it. Yeah, I mean, that shouldn't be the normal. Like I can relate to everything that you said and I shouldn't. You know what I mean? That shouldn't be my reality. I shouldn't relate to having dozens of people dead. I shouldn't relate to most of my family dying from diabetes or cancer. Yeah. I shouldn't relate to all of the trauma, but. I have all of that connection in common with anybody else in America who has that. Right. And because that that aspect of it is left out of politics, it's never spoken to. Right. The Specifically, the black male plight in America is never spoken to in a real way. Otherwise, there would be cancer marches for black men. Mm. There are none. But we got the highest rate. Mm. Right. So how is it that black men are not even in the conversation when we talk about it? Uh, we, how many celebrities have we lost to cancer? Yet we somehow don't get put into the brand of these whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So black men and our issues and our struggles, which you can categorically look at the statistics in America and you can see we're at the forefront of all of them, but we're not the face of none of them. Right. So it don't even feel like you're talking to us. Mm-hmm. So it's like, nah, the decisions that I make are made by things that you don't even know exist and you ignoring the existence of. Yeah. So... A lot of times when black men in the hood, our realities or in the streets or even in the corporates, most of the time black men never speak about it because that lack of safety is just this lack of space. Mm-hmm. Like there's no space to have a conversation anywhere, at least where it matters or it makes a change. Mm-hmm. So it becomes complaining when I speak about my problems and there's nothing to be done from it. Right. So you're going to tell me to vote. But what I'm really voting for is everybody else's agenda because mine is not even in the pot of problems. Right. So. 
It feels like... And for you to be more powerful. Right. For you it, to continue your dynasty that you have. Yeah. 100%. So it feels like, what am I doing it for? I know it's going to make you feel more comfortable and you feel more safe. And it's like, you're telling me that it's now my responsibility to be in alignment with you. But there's no conversation about my alignment at all. I speak about the diversity factor that we talk about a lot, right? Um, the diversity factor, the fact that when we talk about diversity in America, we speak about it in a way where we categorize what diversity is diversity. As a black male Muslim, I'm diversity. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, but that's not put into the category. A, a Hebrew, an Israelite, or, or, you know, a Moorish, that's diversity. But you don't see that in movie, right? You don't see that in politics. You don't see no representation of it whatsoever in America. But we've been in America more than in, in, longer and have contributed more than any other, you know, uh, 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 group more marginalized of people group, yeah. in America. Mm -hmm. Yet it hasn't been spoken to or cared about. And anytime that we've done things, we are the messiahs that are the sacrifices for the rest of the world to build their platforms on, mm -hmm. right? But then people act like Martin Luther King was a black man, right? His, <laughs> he, he first woke up as a black man and seen the world from that perspective, right? So you don't get to build your entire platform while ignoring the black man himself. Mm -hmm. Ma Malcolm X, a black man. All of these leaders, these were black men. Of course, they had women with them. Yeah, women definitely contributed. A hundred percent. Because... You can't be a great black man in America without a great black woman. Right. And, and I say great black woman because the contribution of the woman that is with you, she's also picked by God. If you're picked by God to go alongside with you, right. you just have a, 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 a face front more position mm -hmm. in the mission that you all have. But the, the partner with you along that journey is just as important as the person that's in front of it. But I only say all that to say that, yeah, black men never feel like our voice is truly heard. And so when we do come from positions of, I know it's unsafe out there. It's just courage. Mm -hmm. I got to face reality. Reality is not going to change because I fear it. So <laughs> it'll be better quality of life if I go with the flow of knowing what's happening out there and still making my moves. I think Thomas Sowell, which is somebody I don't particularly agree with on everything. But I've read him. He makes great cases. Though. Yeah, I read him. He makes the great case about, you know, how does anybody uh, advance in America? And he says by gaining the skills that people want to pay for. Mm -hmm. And he really attacks culture a lot, right? Which culture cannot be taken out of because now we have an anti-culture, mm -hmm. anti-family, right? Anti, you know, mental health and mindfulness, right? Is 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 really anti-economic growth because they talk about frivolous spending on things that aren't good for you. It's anti-education. So even when I talk about education, I'm not against education. I talk about the experience in the college institution and the debt that comes along with it versus the education that develops the skill set or the mindset that allows you to progress in society. That's completely different. But people don't like having two conversations at once. They think things have to be black and white. Mm -hmm. I'm brown. Right. So I don't never have that conversation. So there's no such thing as a, a successful person in America who isn't educated. That's so every mean. so everybody every one hundred percent now if you inherit it then you whatever but one hundred percent well then no, you can't you got it you got it because the biggest wealth transfer is through, it, it, through inheritance so right we we definitely do have to add that in because that does speak to systematic things so right so but what I'm saying is a person that's become successful they are educated in something yes the when you guys say that these people out here that 
the Kardashians. You say they don't have no talent. They don't, they might not have talent, but they certainly have a trade that they apply. I can tell you right now that those people know more about branding, marketing, analytics, all of those things, all of that stuff. They know what they're doing. When people say big, dumb athletes, you know what I loved about Kobe Bryant? Mm. And, you know, me and you actually took a walk, like back when Kobe passed. Mm -hmm. I'm walking down the street. I see you. We walked over to the thing when all people were doing the whole thing. It was just watching everybody um, uh, more than Kobe. I, w I used to like to watch detail, the Kobe Bryant show where he would break down basketball. Mm. Because when I was at TMZ, you know, I would go back and forth with people. And the intelligence of the black athlete would always be marginalized. So I remember mm. having a conversation with one guy, particularly at TMZ, that uh, I was telling him what a genius Floyd Mayweather, Floyd Mayweather Jr. is. If you know the basics of boxing, you know that for all of Floyd's prodigious physical skills, the one thing that far outpaces him from everyone else is his knowledge and composure inside of the ring. Like, he's just the smartest tactician that's been in there in a long time. And so those guys are not just educated. They're highly educated. Yeah. When I would watch detail, you would watch Kobe set up a play three plays down, set up a move. They are geniuses at what they do, especially the best of them, right? So your education is going to come. The question is, how traditional does your education have to be? Does your traditional education benefit you in America the same way it did? Go? And these are all questions you have to ask. Right. For all the reasons that you would, to me, the most important part of being educated on anything is the plan that you have for your education. What are you going to do with it? Mm -hmm. All right? Because you could tell me right now, hey, I'm going to spend the next, my, my, little, my little nephew out there at my Uncle Pass. I go out there. He go, he's telling me he wants to do something. I said, hey, just come to L.A. Just come to L.A. You're 18. Just come to L.A. Come to L.A. out. Forget about everything else. You don't need to do all of this. Right. Unk can help you skip steps. Come to L.A. I'll put you on. I will put you on right now. I will put you at the Spotify building. You will work there. By the time you are the age that I was when I moved out here, you'll be up. Right. It's over. Right. Like, get just go ahead and do it. So what I'm saying is, even the conversations about education Really, what I feel like what we're having conversations about is, is another thing, is intentionality. Mm -hmm. With black men, going back to what you were saying, and how black men are looked at in society. There's a thing there. And the thing there is the thing that they don't really want us to talk about. The thing is, po what power actually is. Power is the ability to impart consequences or pain on someone who crosses you. That's the way I look at it. If me and you playing basketball, you throw the ball in, ball in my face, right? It's time to go. If I stall you out, right? And I just give you a pass or whatever, not saying that that would happen, but I, if I give you a pass, then I'm protecting you, mm. right? It's That's protection, right? If I If you can hurt me and I know that you can hurt me or mm -hmm. if I can hurt you and I know that you can hurt me, now my power matters. It doesn't matter if you can kill me. Mm. I'm talking about anything. My dad would tell me we'd get in a fight, just make sure he'll remember you. Mm. Put a bruise on his face, rip his shirt, just make sure he knows you're not the one to fuck with. That means that that then makes you safe. Power makes you safe. Mm. The ability to impart your power, the ability to impart your voting block on somebody makes you safe. That makes them have to do something for you. Mm -hmm. the, the ability for you to tear shit up when it's time, that makes you safe. 
that might make them stop, right? All of that stuff, that makes you say, they do not want safe black men in this country. Mm. They don't. Because in order for black men in this country to be safe, they would have to be powerful. Mm. They would have to be powerful. The only way to have them safe is to be powerful. And the only way to be safe is to have longevity, to mean these diseases cannot kill you, is to have financial freedom, which means you don't have to borrow from people mm -hmm. outside of your community that don't look like you, is to have strong families, meaning those families can operate. And so for you to be safe, for them to, for them to do all of that, they're never going to, they're afraid they don't want the power of black men to be accessed. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. And we could have, we could spend 10 hours, 10 years, 15,000 years talking about why that is, but it's facts. Yeah, I, and, and when the movement to me goes from black power um, to the, 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 the biggest civil rights movement of our era was Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Right? But it doesn't speak to the consequence. Black power, as you just spoke about, speaks to the consequence. Because power comes with things. Mm -hmm. Mattering doesn't come with anything, right? Because that's a statement that's already true, right? It's already a reality. Whether the system acquiesces to that reality or not, or people um, uh, realize it or want to go against that fact, that's different. But black power speaks to black family, prosperity, education, right? Growth. It speaks to a... Uh, 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 an ability to control our own freedom, justice, equality. It, it speaks towards liberty. Kwame Turi, yeah. who said that we want liberty, not peace. Mm -hmm. Right? And I found that to be very profound because he was like, you know, I don't need there to be peace in the sense that I want everybody to get along. I want the ability to be free. I don't and care. We can't, have, we can't have peace until we're free. I like, bruh, I honestly don't care if you hate me or not. I don't either. Like, you know what I mean? Like, now, I don't you, want you to ever be in a power position against me to utilize your bias against yeah, I, me. I know. I don't. My, what I, at this point, what, what I want is. But that's the distraction, though. Right. What, 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 what this point, it is, it's very simple. I just want to not have to need you. Yeah. And, and, and that's the, and another thing but is. But that's what separation uh, is. Another thing is black men have been specifically valuable workhorses. Mm. In the history of America. Yeah. Workhorses, not just from a standpoint of slavery, but scapegoats for violence, right? In terms of, hey, we got to firebomb this whole town. Mm -hmm. Why? Because a black man did something. Mm -hmm. So they've been particularly useful in the American narrative of power and control. That's a fact. Like, and so you make up a lie or um, an idea about someone. And the most important thing to do is to maintain that idea. So that the status quo is maintained, mm -hmm. right? And even Dr. King and Brother Malcolm and Medgar and Fred and the rest of these guys that they killed them, they killed them because of what they were getting done, but they more so killed them because of what they represented. A hundred percent. And think about those black men. Not one time in history have you ever seen them lay a hand on another person. You know what I mean? They... Mm -hmm. The, the, the manhood and what they represented was intellectual, mm -hmm. right? And their capability mentally, right? The Latin word for mind is men's, right? When you talk mm -hmm. about a person being a man, mm -hmm. right? Men, they mind, mm -hmm. right? So it's a non-gender thing when you talk about men, right? Or one man or man. It's about your mind. 
And I believe that because we have attributed masculinity with all of these exterior things, right? People have gotten the focus of the intellectual one is the most powerful one. The man who has the stoicism, right? The man who is, uh, has that Messiah minded, you know, way about himself that is charismatic, that can deliver the message, that can lead them. That's the powerful one, mm-hmm. right? And there were times in history where we did exalt that. And we have lost that throughout time because, you know, and we talk about culture, when we look at hip hop, hip hop is getting to a place, I feel like, where it had went devoid a lot of intellect at all. But now you see the rappers having conversations. Now they talk about the money they make and now they talk about the moves they make. And now they want to be seen as intelligent, right, in some of their conversations, right? But that wasn't always the case. Being ignorant, right, and being a nigga and, you know, not saying anything of any true value was like, oh, you know, I'm a street. You feel me? That's part of your reputation. But you was never the gangster. The gangster was always smart. Mm -hmm. There's no cases where the gangster wasn't smart. That's the crony. That's that's the goon that you send out to go crash Crash out. Yeah. Yeah. But the gangster was always intelligent that took care of his surroundings and his situation. Right. Even when you go look at uh, Rick Ross. Um, and, and when he was, you know, working with the CIA, um, unknowingly, he was intelligent. His character in, uh, Snowfall, right? Even though it's a loose betrayal of actual oh, yeah, events, yeah. was still intelligent, mm-hmm. right? And if we get back to that thing today where masculinity is directly in connection with intellectualism and our ability to use our mind, I think we'd be all right because we'll get to that point where, oh, wait a minute. Their whole thing is to try to keep me away from my confidence and my power, which is not some external power, not a car I got, not a house I got. None of that shit matters. It's all about whether I can use my mind and I can figure out these problems that's in front of me. Mm. Right. And they distract you with all of this. Hey, all of this is your problem. Systematic focus on the past. Like, no, wait a minute. I'm here in the present. How about develop one of these skills? Right. All I got to do is keep my mind in control, which mental health is the biggest issue for black men today. Yeah. Which means that we don't have control of our mind, which you see a decline right in black America. Mm -hmm. That's the issue. If we can get to a mindfulness, if we can get to that place where we have that 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 ability to think Mm -hmm. and focus, then we have all the progress we ever need. Right. All the women around the world know that black men are the best. Mm -hmm. That's just a well-known fact. I think it's. I think it's documented in every historical category. They might have tried to erase it, but everybody knows whether you went one or not. Right. We know it's a fact. Right, 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 right. right. I don't care where you settled, where you've went. Mm -hmm. It's us, Mm -hmm. right? And that's no disrespect to second place, third place, fourth place, fifth place. That's what those places are for. People get a medal. Yeah, Yeah. you know, but you know, they they created the Olympics for a reason to show you, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, do you know the Olympics was literally created to show you, like, there's levels to this. Do you know what the, the, <laughs> the biggest problem with masculinity is, to me, is men. And let me tell you why. Oh, uh-oh. Let me tell you why. You sound, you sound like one of the, you sound you like Margaret Sefford. Let me tell you, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you why the biggest, the, the, the biggest problem with masculinity is men. Tell you why. People think that anything that a man does is masculine. Mm. So I talk a lot about my father. And I talk, the reason why I talk a lot about my father is because the older I get, uh, the more I understand like how it, like how by osmosis I gain something. Mm. 
So I'm back there hunting, same deer stand I was telling you about. I'll go back there and hunt. I'm back there hunting. And when I'm back in my deer stand hunting, uh, I get down and I see some people having sex in the woods. Mm. And um, I see them having sex in the woods and they're skinheads. Because we had a bunch of land, but there was one access road. And in the back of the road, uh, some skinheads had bought a house and they had a little skinhead house. And it was like 14, 15 of them, whatever. And so when I'm getting off my, I'm getting off my deer stand and I see these people, I'm, what, 14, 15 years old? So I'm just like, oh, they having sex. You know what I'm saying? I'm not even tripping. But the dude kind of bowls up on me a little bit. Now, I have a gun, right? And my three-wheeler is right there. This is a dicey situation. Mm-hmm. So he kind of bowls up a little. He's embarrassed is really the only thing. Like, he's embarrassed that he got caught. He said some stuff to when me. When you say skinhead. This is a, two, a skinhead. Two male skinheads or no, no, no. male and he's female? A, a skinhead and another skinhead girl. Okay. I don't even know if she was a skinhead girl because she didn't have her head skin, okay. but it was, I mean, she was with them. Right. So I assume that she was yeah. down with the Reich or whatever. And so, um, so I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm scared. I'm not gonna lie. I'm like, I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm like, grown man. He's coming at me. I see him. He's pulling his pants. The whole thing is like a deal, right? He's pulling his pants up. I got, I got my gun. I'm like this. My three little, three little's white there. And there's a moment. There's a, there's a thing. So I'm getting off my deer stand anyway. I get back on the my three-wheeler and I ride back to the crib. I ride back to the house, ride through the woods. I got a little path to go back there. And um, I'm in there chilling and my dad gets home a little while later. I just, I, and I, I tell him what happened. He's like, you see anything out there? I was like, yeah, I saw something. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? He asked you, did you see anything? Like, I'm like, I didn't see no deer. I saw something. And he was like, huh, come with me. So, you know, he wasn't, you know, he kept it on him, whole deal, but he was like a man. So he just drives back to the back. Drives back to the back. Never, ain't no freaking out. Ain't no, oh man, just drives back to the back. Stops. They're all sitting outside. Like, not all of them, but there's some of them sitting outside. Like, um, gets out of the truck. He's like, boy, get out of the truck. Come yeah. around to the front of the truck. He's like, this is my son. To all of y'all, this is my son. Okay, all of that's that's ours. So he gonna go back there and he gonna hunt. And he's going to hunt back here. He, he loved to hunt. He's going to ride his three-wheeler. And not just him, but all his friends going to be back here. He was like, all his friends. And he's like, he's going to be safe. And if I feel like anybody is making my son unsafe, I'm going to come back here. And the next time I come back here, it's not going to be good for nobody. Are we in the greens? Literally. And even, even during this, I'm still scared. Mm. Cause I'm like, what's about to happen? Yeah, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's. I'm, I'm literally like, it's, it's nine or ten of them. Like, it's whoever sitting out there. I'm like, what's about to happen? He's like, are, are we cool? And you know what? They like, we're cool, sir. I'm sir. Yeah, from a racist skinhead, mm-hmm. sir. Like, sir, I'm sorry about what happened before. He's like, I'm, not, I'm not even worried about the trespassing. I'm not trespassing. I was young once too. Y'all want to go back there? I don't even care what y'all got going on. I don't care about none of that. But we neighbors. Mm-hmm. We gonna live up here. Y'all gonna live back here. If it goes bad, I'm telling you, it's going bad for everybody. To me, the way I looked at that, it, what I, the way I looked at that at, at that moment was like, I'm okay. That's what that made me feel. Mm-hmm. Like as a as a even even though we had lived in Baton Rouge and we had just got out to Zachary, we had moved out of that, and I had known everything that was happening to people. That made me feel like I'm okay. I see somebody that cares about my safety, that cares about my safety, didn't get crazy about it, didn't get mad, just went back there and asserted himself 
and said, this is how it's going to be. And the reason why I say that the biggest problem with masculinity is men is because if masculinity is not defined, it'll be redefined. Mm. And sometimes the people that are defining it haven't found it yet. It's not that they're not men. They haven't found it yet, right? It's not a birthright. Being a man is a birthright. Being masculine, being a father, being a community leader, that's not a birthright. You got to search for that. Somebody has to initiate you into that. That's taught. Like that has to be taught, Mm. right? If you give somebody $100 million at 21, they're going to do what they 21-year-old body tell them to do. They're going to rap the way they 21-year-old body tell them to rap. They're going to have sex the way they 21-year-old body tell them to have sex. And then over the next 15 years, they're going to pop out a couple of kids, marry a woman, and then they're going to start thinking about the community. So the reality is that the, 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 and that's not a, that's not a diss to any of my brothers. Cause I, I don't, I'm not coming off holding it out. I worked no, at TMZ no, no, for I, nine I, years. So there's, so, 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 no, so there's no I, I way get to, it. I there's no I way think. to diss them. So what, what I'm, what I'm saying is there has to be a comp, just like we have a conversation about yeah. everything else. We have to have a conversation because not everybody has a dad, right? Yeah. So they got to be able to touch us. We got to be there for kids and show them that responsibility, safety, intentionality, not perfection. Because like I said, I was at TMZ nine years, not perfection. Those are the things that make a man. Yeah, I, I think the, the statement on his face, um, I would disagree with. I feel you. I understand the explanation, but the explanation doesn't sound like the statement on his face. Well, why, th- let me let, allow me one a, a little bit more latitude. The reason why I say that is because what I'm trying to say, um, and you should have my you know, my brother Jason Wilson on here mm. from the Cave of Adullam up in Detroit. Uh, talks about comp- being a comprehensive man mm-hmm. and what that means. He teaches the young man, the brother through, with the beard, the brother right. with the yeah, beard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I like bro. that brother. Yeah, yeah like t- t- talk about being a comprehensive man. What I'm saying is that because we have some brothers, some men, not brothers, some men that are misplacing their manhood in other places, uh-huh. but yet asserting it, it sometimes like muddles the definition. Yeah, I agree. I No, I agree with mm-hmm. everything that you're saying, you know, as you explained it. I think the way I would have worded that, I think the representation of masculinity is the biggest issue with it. Okay. Because masculinity is a thing. Now, people in today's age, we want to codify it as however you feel at the moment, right? And I've seen people with large platforms do this, especially when you get into Hollywood, you get into media, and you want to be more comfortable in these spaces that accept a certain type of masculinity as this progressive masculinity, right? And so, therefore, you start redefining it so that it fits and make you comfortable in what is now what you decide masculinity is, which as a man, you can decide that is for what it is. But what I mean to say is, is that, you know, if a woman is feminine, right? She's soft-spoken, right? She, she's highly intuitive. She's a nurturer. She's a carer. She, you know, she's, she's in her energy. Mm-hmm. Feminine can never be misrepresented by women who aren't feminine. Right. It doesn't become redefined as the new feminine. Right. But masculinity becomes redefined as this new masculine, depending on whatever man is representing himself. Mm. Right. 
And people act like masculinity just has to keep rechanging. No, it's a thing already, mm -hmm. right? Number one, it was uh, at first it was just the typical trait of a man, mm -hmm. right? But when we go about it now, <laughs> universally, if I say this is a feminine woman, you're going to get an idea. If you meet a woman who wasn't feminine, that's not a feminine woman, right? You're not going to ever blame femininity, right? You're not going to blame being feminine on anything. Mm -hmm. It's just that wasn't a feminine woman. Mm -hmm. That wasn't a masculine man. He wasn't very masculine. He didn't assert much masculinity in the way that he spoke, in the way that he thought, in the way that he moved. And it's probably because of his upbringing, he didn't have a masculine example to elevate him into the idea of what masculine is. If a woman grows up with a lot of brothers, she may not end up becoming very feminine, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes. The word for or, a tomboy. Yeah, a tomboy. Yeah. And then maybe later on, she grows into her, going to her feminine era, mm -hmm. right? We've seen this happen. That happens with men as well. You may grow up with a lot of sisters. Later on, you see examples. Oh, for a lot of men in the 60s, 70s, they seen Malcolm X. They seen the fruit of Islam, right? They seen Black Panthers. Then they seen hip hop. So what happened is, is that we start following men and their examples of the way that they represent themselves. And somehow masculinity gets put in the middle of it when it really has nothing to do with it. The world is missing father, is missing masculinity the most. And instead of saying that, we, brain, we, 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 we talk about everything else around it. We say that fathers are missing. That means you're saying that the issue is not enough fathers. The issue is not enough masculine representatives. Mm -hmm. Right. To elevate these young males into a position with these values and these characteristics that you believe makes a good man. Mm -hmm. Right. Which when you say a good man, that's someone is in representation of being masculine. <laughs> right. So I think that masculinity shouldn't even be in the conversation when you're talking about the other toxic traits that a person exude. Right. It has nothing to do with masculinity itself. It can be the lack of. So I think that that's where the issue lies in a representation and the defining of it in the first place. Right. I think I think I understand what you're saying. And what I would say is the question is what I would say is that the redefinition was intentional. Mm -hmm. Like if you're a man because of how many people you've killed, if you're a man because of how many women you've slept with. If you're a man, because so the different the different the redefinition of it wasn't on accident by right? media, though, I get it. But what I'm saying is that is the conversation. The conversation isn't about the conversation to me isn't even about somebody's personal traits that would make them masculine or feminine. The, 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 the conversation is about specifically what the man's role in society is. And particularly when you're talking about in the black community, when black women are even the most pro I know some of the most brilliant and progressive black women in the world. Yeah, you would hate them. Just joking. Well, I get what you're saying, well, but well, I wouldn't hate any I, I get it, I'm just saying. But like, can really, come to my show. Yeah, you know, I, but I think they actually should. I think they, this, this is high level conversation, <laughs> not uncomfortable conversation. Right. Brilliant, oh, yeah, that's very important. Brilliant conversation, brilliant. And you know what? You know what they have in common? They want a black man. And I'm sorry for the ones oh, that for, for the ones that are for the ones that are uh, playing for that team. They want a black man. Mm -hmm. I, I talk to these women. I know these women. They want a black man. And the things that they want in a black man are almost inherently masculine. They 100%. want they want protection. They want to be seen. Well, yeah. They want to be made to feel a certain way. And so what I'm saying is this: the I take my uh, my um, my position as an OG very seriously. 
these young boys, these young men, if it's not defined for them, if it's not shown to them, they're going to go off what they see and what yeah, they're they going to take the best they can get. So I'll give you an example of something. But but before you even go there, and I okay, want you to hold on. that thought. You, we have to always get to who is the one that funds and defines the masculine representation, right? Media writ large, yeah. Media, like we, we don't go to the financers or the writers of these scripts mm-hmm. that we learn from. Right. We don't go to, hey, this is a rapper, but who decided that I'm going to fund this rapper because I think that this would be something we can make money off of. Mm-hmm. You got to follow. They always say follow the money. Right. Right. Then you see the people that define masculinity and define mm-hmm. femininity and define the world. It's not the actor or the person that's in front. It's the people behind the scenes because they could have decided, actually, we want this representation in the world. Right. So we're going to put money behind this. Let me push back a little bit. The only thing I would say to that is this. They're not going to fund nothing. That doesn't make money for them. Oh, that's a fact. But they still so, won't so, fund it so, even so, if it makes money. So, so this will. So this is what I'm saying. Because I'm, they won't fund it if it imp- if it gives a fearless black man power. I get, I agree with that. I agree with that. But that would never make money, right? So, so like, yeah, it could. It would make money. So what I'm saying is, overall, there's going to be too well, many people. In that today's are, era, it can for sure. I, okay, I agree. I mean, I. I I think I'm a walking example that it works. It's just they don't want it to work. But you existing outside the matrix though. And and but in you and but out. Neo was always in and out. I know, it was but never you out or in. But you don't. He but, looked bummy outside the matrix. He was. The, he was. I was like, yeah, had no hands, holes in yeah. my head. Um, but 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 what I'm saying is that you don't need anybody to cosign you for you to do what you do. Because you are direct to consumer almost with anything. Because so, but everybody can do that. But listen. So we got 30 million watch hours. We got almost a billion impressions, 51 million views. We was able to do like a 15 city tour, travel all around the world. This is this is an economy. Why wouldn't somebody outside look at that and be like, oh, if you can do it organically, we can 10x that with the right funding. Mm -hmm. They know that that's possible. Right. But they think about, all right, but does this coincide with? They think of, they think about who it's going to offend, right? And like, does this this is go? And so so, but not when it's white. Well, white boys get to have a whole white supremacist show and offend the entire world and, and get t- sponsored. And I will tell you why though, because it's more. The reason why that is is because it's more racist than we think that there are. It's because you can actually. So this is my thing, and I, I don't want to get this into what I what, what I'm actually trying to say here. I'm not disagreeing with and, you. And and they don't really care about being offensive. They care about us being empowered they, because. Of, that's what uh, I mean. hip-hop is the most offensive. You can, I know, but, but they what I'm will, saying is, They will <laughs> give you the worst representation on the planet and offend every church folk that ever I know, existed but 19, and not care. What I'm talking about is that actually doesn't offend them. What offends them is a powerful black man that's righteous. That's offensive. Mm. The, 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 the other stuff that we're talking about, that's not offensive. That's not offensive. I'll tell you how we know what was you know, offensive. I'm going to categorize it as a lack of diversity because that's what they understand. <laughs> right, right. So, uh, like, like, uh, some of the other stuff, the vile stuff, mm-hmm. they can sell that, right? Yeah. They, it's, it's, but it's, opp- I want people to understand that it's oppressive too. You know what I mean? That, especially if you're in position of power and you watch things that you don't want to empower specifically because mm-hmm. you feel like it offends you, that's you utilizing your power to oppress certain, uh, margins in the black community. Sure. That's the way I look at it because you don't realize you're making the same decision as what you consider a white figurehead. That doesn't want to promote you because mm-hmm. you're a black woman or you or you gay or whatever it may be. When you make that same decision, oh, that's a black Muslim. I don't want to empower that voice. You're now the oppressor. To be honest with you, 
one of the most debilitating things to white people. I'm not even talking about white people. I'm talking about black people. Oh, talk talk to me. Black people make that same decision. Okay. You know what I mean? That they be offended that if if there's somebody that they have to stand next to that's different, that represents another way. Right? Because I believe a lot of times that they feel like it showcases their weaknesses. Well, hey, how were they able to do it organically? How are they able to still speak this way and garner success? And you have to change so many things about you. Right? But... For me, it's saying that why can't these things coexist? I give an exa- okay. I don't have any issue. In in reality, I would rather somebody come to me with counseling and conversation versus write me off and be like, he don't know this, he don't know that. So let me t- if you ain't never talked to me, then you a sucker if so, that's how you write me off. So let me tell you why that, that even that comes back to masculinity, right? Let me tell you why that comes back to to being a compromise. That was me expressing myself. That's my feminist side. Okay, but 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 look, but let me tell you why, but let me tell you why that even comes back to masculinity, right? So um, take Umar, mm-hmm. right? I was talking to one of my friends, uh, and he was talking to me about Umar. And he watched Umar on Joe's podcast. He was talking to me about Umar, and he was complaining. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what this is really about? I was like, he makes you uncomfortable. And I was like, the reason why he makes you uncomfortable is because people oftentimes get uncomfortable with they with what they feel like is an unreachable standard. And so Umar represents a purity, and I don't agree with everything that Dr. Umar says. I'm not saying that at all. But what I will say is this is that he represents a purity of black pan-African thought, which means everything has to be 100 percent black. Everything has to be black. So everything has to be black. Reminds me of some of my vegan friends. There are different standards of vegan. Right. There are some vegan people that uh, eat vegan, but they'll wear leather shoes. They got leather in their car, whatever, the whole night. And then there are other people that they are vegan. They will make their clothes before it comes from an animal. They will do their whole thing. They represent, they, they're standard setters. In order to, in order for veganism to have any power, there has to be somebody that's uncompromising because there are levels of it. Not everybody can be that. Mm-hmm. Not everybody can do everything totally 100%. Not everybody would even want to, but that has to exist. And when if, if you can't if you don't want to be like Dr. Umar, if you don't want to have everything black, have all black partners, do all black stuff like that, you have to at least appreciate and not feel um uh uh intimidated by the existence of that person. Well, yeah, I mean, Amish people get to do it. Right. So when I'm Jewish so, people get to do it, so, why, why not? I think that that's, that's what I want to get to. And so, but let me finish real quick. And so that's what I'm saying about, about, about you. Anyone who would be um, intimidated with the way that you articulate yourself, what you stand or what, what you represent, that is demonstrating something inside someone else. For me, or, or people that I know that are, that, that are like me that have similar situations, I look at that as inspiration because when I see somebody that's doing something that really, that I go, should I be doing that that way? Then I interrogate it. Mm. I look at it. I watch Malcolm two or three times a day, little short clips on YouTube just because I am, I, I don't understand how he would comport himself that way. Yeah. I don't understand how he would just lay back and, hmm, and just do that whole thing. Yeah. Like, I want that. It, it doesn't make me think, it doesn't make me feel less than. Yeah. It makes me feel like, okay, what do I got to do to get that? Do I have to run more? Do I have to be more? Do I have to up my vocabulary? 
Do I have to do more mental health work? How can I stay within my body like that? What do I need to do? So the people that you're talking about, they would never be good partners anyway, because you cannot have a partner. You can't have a partner that's threatened by you. That's in a well, romantic- I ain't talking about partners, but think about it like this. I think that we, and, and, and not to cut you with the no, go ahead, but I, I just think that it's important for us to like bring this conversation to a level-headed reality. Okay. Right? Because we, we, and I say we, I'm talking about black people. We partner with people we don't agree with all day long. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, I see conversations with people who work with people in Fox and NBC and all these different places, and they talk about their horror stories. You didn't agree with them at all. Right? You know I got they, some. Yeah. Yeah. But what is the issue? Is there something specific? Right? And we had this conversation about old gatekeepers of black men and things of that nature and position. There's something very specific about a young black man who knows himself. Right. But here's the thing. And the reason I use these words like diversity, because you can understand that. And if you want somebody to be empathetic towards you, but you're acting the same way as that thing that you're going against to somebody else, you don't have a leg to stand on for me and you don't deserve any empathy. Right. There has to be a level of intentionality of empowering each other. Because there's nothing that I do or people that are like me that do that is not empowering to our community whatsoever. Not a single thing. Not one iota of our representation takes us backwards. It moves us forward. We want to be economically stimulated. We want to be educated. We want to step outside with a certain aesthetic and representation. We want you to have confidence, mental health exuding. Yeah, it's nothing but progress. Mm. Right. So. We have to, that, that's me challenging the status quo on how people think and how people feel like they're good people. But in reality, you are just another oppressor. Hmm. So, a couple of things there. One is, there is, we talk about the black diaspora. Mm -hmm. We don't talk about a diaspora of thought. Mm -hmm. I had to learn. Well, I like that. A diaspora of thought. Mm -hmm. Like a diaspora of thought coming from different places. And I, re I respect the diaspora of thought. I respect the diaspora of thought. As long as I believe that you're coming from a place that's genuinely informed, if I think that you're performing for one second, I can't fuck with you. Mm -hmm. If I think for one second that you're just saying something either to get a rise out of me mm -hmm. or to... Yeah, that's performative. Or to... I don't care... Who, by the way, I don't care who, which crowd you're playing to. You could play to the crowd that I agree with. Mm -hmm. If, if I feel like it's not coming from a good place, like if I have too many conversations with somebody and they're different in person than they are on Twitter, too different, mm -hmm. it turns me off. Yeah. Right. Because it's just it, it, it's there's a glitch in it. Right. Um, So the diaspora of thought is very important. Right. It's very important because what I always what I always think and what I always say is that black people have to be more. uh the first group that black people have to be more um, accepting of is other black people. A hundred percent. The first group that black people have to be more accepting of is other black 100%. people. hundred percent. Now, I'll tell you something else. There's nothing about that, that gets in the way of all of this. It's capitalism, right? Yeah. So now, and, and on that point, I understand, and, and I, I was going to say all that, I understand the business of it at right. the same time. So capitalism, so capitalism says we can't all, so what American capitalism has taught black people more than anything, when it's taught black people and it hasn't taught other people, it's taught us, the, the one lesson we've gotten from is that we can't all be rich. Mm. So the, so the question is, who's going to stop you from achieving, right? You, you hear this all the time. Hey, man, there's just going to be certain people you're going to have to let go of, certain people you're going to have to get rid of, certain people you're not going to be able to stand mm -hmm. by. I'm not saying that that's not true. But what I'm saying is, why do we look at things that way? Mm -hmm. Why is the thought 
about the people you're going to have to leave behind and not the people that you're going to have to add. Mm. Well, why is the thought about what you're not going to do mm-hmm. instead of what you are going to right. do? Or even reposition. Or reposition, right? So what I look at is I don't look at who from Baton Rouge or who from my past I'm not going to have to be around. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about who do I need to know? Right. Who needs to make me better? Which is who a- can I fellowship and caucus with to, to, to get me to the next level? So the reality is if, if, if when people get that, when people get to a point and they see somebody, they then think, well, what's good? What are these people going to think about me when I bring him into the room with me? Mm. And then that to me tells me that they don't really have faith in black people. Mm. I have enough faith in black people to even tell some people, even to tell, to even tell you, be like, Hey, this is my man right here. I'm just telling you right now in a joking way. Right, right. right. Y'all like, this is my man right here. He's going to get at you on that shit. Let's sit down and talk about it. Yeah. Like this is my, this is my homegirl right here. Like I just told you about some of the, pro- mm-hmm. the, the really progressive black women, some of the greatest black women in my life. Yeah. Some of Jamila, the biggest viewers of this show. Jamila Lemieux, Alicia Garza, all of these people. These are women that I really, really respect. Of course, Kalika Abrams, my girl. I don't want to, cause this will get in the wrong way. And then somebody, she'll be like, Oh my God, why did she talk about all these other ones? Nah, baby. I'm going to make sure we cut that explaining part out and just leave. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 what, what I'm saying is like even even in that sense, yeah. Stop telling me about who you don't want to be around, man. I I I just listen and, and to the business aspect. I understand the business. Me and my bro Kina had these conversations about infrastructure all the time and looking at it from different perspectives and lens. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we complain about things from a point of ignorance. Sure, right. We may want um, an award. We may want to be in a room and we may want to look and it's like. Did you fill out this application? Did you hire a PR person? Did you do the booking thing? Or did you go to this networking situation? Did you meet this person? A lot of it is we not understanding the game. Did you take care of what you had to take care of first? Versus the game discriminating on us. Yeah. Right. And I understand that. It's what we feel. Right. But then there's the reality. Right. So but and and so when I'm having these conversations, it's more so about people who do understand it. Mm. Right. Who have their infrastructure together. And. We like somebody like myself, you know, and people who build like me, they have to we have to go 10 times harder than the average person, maybe 100. Right. And we have to be way more creative, way more intentional and have to be brilliant in almost everything that we and less margin for error. Yeah. In order to get the level of success, there's zero marketing budget behind what I do. And there's people who have millions, millions of dollars behind them that haven't reached nowhere near Mm-hmm. Right. And tried to duplicate this, but they can't because it's magic over here and it's science. Mm-hmm. But we don't often like and, and I don't exist in this bubble of thinking that this shit is going to happen. I just think about what should have happened. Right. When we get to that place, when we create that and it's ideal. When we look at the successes and I believe that it's the point of people that are empowering institutions to look for. Right. Those next ones coming up to look for people who's pushing it forward. You should not be uninformed. You shouldn't be like, yo, I tell you about so-and-so. You know who that is? Man. I don't know. Isn't that your whole position to seek out those voices, seek out those platforms, seek out what's next? We don't have that enough, that type of energy. It shouldn't be I introduce myself, and I ain't speaking on me personally, but you don't know this person. That should be your job to be informed on those things, mm-hmm. right? I, I forgot who I was talking to, and we were talking about, uh, and shout out to you and your NAACP. And oh, I appreciate Germany. it. Yeah. So we was talking about, I think I was talking to Wall Street Trapper maybe, and we was talking about institutions such as that and other institutions and 
their ability to seek out young talent, mm-hmm. right? And young voices and leaders. And they should create those bridges. If there's any point of that existence of those type of institutions, for me, it should be that. Mm. To be like, all right, I see what you're doing. Can we offer guidance? Can we offer support? Can we offer platform funds? Whatever it may be. Otherwise, what is the point of our own institutions? And how can we go outside of that and complain about institutions that don't look like us if the ones who do aren't even doing that? So I believe that that's the point of change that we need to have is where we intentionally looking for the change makers and supporting them. See, especially when they're different. So here's my thing about that. I've, I've had this conversation for a long time. Is that intentionally that intentionality comes from solidarity, right? It comes from an understanding that what's good for you is what's good for yeah, them. Having a common call, right? And so, bro, I I think that's less common than what you think it is. I mean, it's like it's well, it's not less common. I'll put it to you like this: when I'm back in Baton Rouge, I see it all the time. Like we just help each other. Like people just help each other. Mm. People just help each other. Like it's 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 not even that big of a deal. Like I'm at my mom and my grandmother's house. Dude, come to the uh. Uh, come to the come to the door. It was like Miss Crystal, y'all got some fish. Mm. I was like, got some fish. I'm like, what are you talking about? You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I'm like, like, I'm like, who, who this? And he's like, y'all got some fish in there. Well, my mom and my grandmother go fishing, and they'll have some fish. And if you don't feel like going to the stove, it's a freezer full of fish. Yeah, people know they can come to the crib and yeah, get some yeah, fish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They give them the fish. He get the fish. I'm like, I'm 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 like culture shock. I'm like, yo, you coming? And by the way. It's not like I'm not from there. I know that it's like that, but I've been gone for a while. So it's like, I'm like, yeah, y'all got some fish in there? I'm like, yeah. And she's like, yeah. But my mom was like, boy, you can't go in there and go in there and give them five pieces of fish. Give them five sack of lay, give them the sack of lay, so go, go and eat. What's wrong with you? Who are you? And I'm like, oh, cool, good. Yeah. Good to be home. So that to me is culture. Right. And so this, and so this is what I'm saying. When I, what I'm saying about, what I'm saying with this is like what you're talking about is even when I was at TMZ, when I was at TMZ, there would be stories that would be on black celebrities. And every time there was a black celebrity story and it would come through, I would jump in the middle of it, make sure that it was culturally sound or whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. But what I would tell those same celebrities is they need to be intentional about the relationships that they're fostering with black media. Mm-hmm. And sometimes black media isn't black media outlets. It should be. But sometimes black media is the black person that works there. Mm-hmm. So if you want a star, if you want an ally, create one. Mm-hmm. If that you, I agree. If you if you if you want don't if you want the next thing, create it. Yeah, that's strategy. And so and so for any of these organizations or any of these places, I think that there are a couple of things that are at play there. Number one, I think that sometimes there's a prestige disease, and that prestige disease is uh, the same because we don't talk about this, the same income inequality, the same in- inequality that exists in America that exists in black people too, right? So pe- people talk about different places where they will go. I mean, there's clubs that, like you said earlier, that certain black people can get in and certain black people can't get in. So sometimes when you have an award show, when you have something like that, you don't think about, or when you have an organization or whatever it is, it's not me coming directly at the NAACP awards. I appreciate the nomination. But what I'm saying is you don't think about who you can create. You think about who's coming. Who has mm. to be there? Who do you want there to so everybody thinks that you're right, the coolest? This thing, yeah, I mean, this we know is you're right. The behind award show is funding, right? And right, and so and so what I'm and so what I'm saying advertisers specifically. So, and so what I'm saying to that is the way I look at that is if we're gonna have a conversation about cultural intentionality, 
that starts with the most like uh the most deserving and needy of us because those are the people that need the solidarity the most mm-hmm. like people walk up to me all the time hey van bruh can i do this can i send you this can i do this like the thing if yeah. you send it to me i'm aware if you matter of fact where's that cologne i put up here he took the cologne off. <laughs> Cause I put that on purpose to advertise my breath. Come on, you see? Let me see. And it's a black hand that did that. It's not Let even. Let me see. Yeah. Savoir. Let me see. Um, but like what I'm saying is, it's like it is. I told them every show I was just gonna start throwing oh, free black products about. up there. Whose cologne is this? Uh, my brother, uh, Chris Classic. Now here's the thing. Yeah, out in Atlanta. So this is my thing. I'm gonna put his IG up there. This actually smells amazing. Yeah, packaging is immaculate, and it's. And it's probably even way better now. He sent me that a while ago. This actually is amazing. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So that's for me. I'm taking that. Look over here. Yeah. I got that one. Um, but what I'm saying is that a lot of this stuff don't even take no effort. Yeah. It just, it just takes intentionality. Well, and, and, and the reason I bring it up is because I know a lot of people don't care. But and now and now I push out these narratives on purpose so we can dispel the fact of making you look like you do. When you can tell the person's not intentional because of the strategy is given and you decide to ignore it, now you're responsible for that because you have the awareness, mm. right? So I don't want people to get to ability to act like they don't know. You know what I mean? Like, no, it's out there, right? And can I be honest with you about something? Yeah. So I'll be honest. You with can you. always be honest about everything. So I'll be show. I'll be honest with you about something. Let's say, and this is another thing, and this is why. Having com- this is I'm mean, give me an example right now of having why well, having conversations matters. Let's say somebody came to me right now, mm-hmm. like I'm at Spotify, you know, doing my thing over there, I'm doing deals or whatever. Somebody came to me right now and they was like, "We got ten million dollars and we need a podcast. We need a black culture podcast, like with a black voice." Do you know I would not even think to come to you. <laughs> and let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. Wait, wait, wait. But let me. But let me this gatekeeper stuff. But, 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 no, 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 no. But let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. I wouldn't have thought that you would have wanted to do that. Mm. Like talking to you, this, this is a very important conversation. I wouldn't have thought I'd have been like, well, she, I, I think I would say my man, 19 keys, but he probably not want to f*** with nothing corporate. Like I wouldn't have thought that you would have wanted to do that. And I think sometimes because uh, even if your perception of somebody is a positive perception, mm-hmm. that positive perception it still has to be grounded in truth and knowledge. You have to get to know somebody and know what it is that they want and what it is yeah. they think and how it is that they look. It wouldn't have been on nothing that was like on no hating shit. Like I, th- we talked about, I think the world of you, I think your, your voice is incredibly important. I get it, what you're saying hundred percent. I would have been, I would have been like, oh, well, if, if, if I come to him with that, is he going to look at me as trying to get him to sell out to a corporation or nah. something like that. See, and, and that's the thing. It's like when uh, certain certain groups of us get put in these like boxes. Yeah. Right? And the reality should be more so, I'm going to try to convince them that this is a good thing so the platform grows, you have more funding, and you can do more of what you do because I know he won't sell out regardless mm. of what deal is brought to. Right up. I get that you. should be the perspective. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I love what they're doing. Now, let me try to convince them how they can use this platform to grow even more while maintaining that essence of integrity. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's 
because a lot of these things is like, I ain't fearful of nobody. If there's some deal that I don't like, I just won't take it. Right. You know what I mean? I yeah. think it's, it's simple. Like, I don't believe in the boogeyman in that sense. Right, right. You feel right. me? I think about business, and there's some stuff I'm going to tell you about that we're doing because we really, our goal is to really, you know, get deeper into media, right? I don't even want to always have to be the personality, but I know how to create shows. I know how to create scrolls from scratch. I know how to do the branding, the marketing. I know about the back end of how you make these things work. Everything we do is intentional. There's a science. And you really, I think the most unappreciated group are the ones who have to do it super creative and they find them a level of success because they have to be better than everybody else, mm. right? Because you can't do it the traditional route. So those are the people you really want to go to because those are the people that probably will have a larger level of success if they were giving a platform. Or because their ingenuity has been exactly by the necessity. They have never been able to depend on the machine. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't the dollars that got them the popularity or the growth. It was organic market viability, mm -hmm. right? They had to test and experiment what the people really want, what was real to them. And then they figured out these methods to make this magic work. Mm -hmm. So I think about that and I know when, like, I can tell what's going to be a hit show. And I see corporate spend so much money on things that don't ever work. Right. A lot of money, billboards, commercials, they had shows, they had all of this, and it flops and they don't do no numbers. Mm -hmm. Because you can't force people to change their taste. You can't force people to see something as real. Cultural and intelligence. Yeah. So that's where I believe that, and that's what this conversation is about intentionality. Mm -hmm. You feel me? It's about like, how do we specifically look at places to where we want to change? Specifically, we want America to change. We have to empower different Americans because mm -hmm. those Americans think different. Right. So when those Americans are empowered, now there's representation. Mm -hmm. Like what could go wrong? Well, I ain't going to ask that question. <laughs> Don't ask that. No, it was more so, it's not a full thought, but in the idea sense of like, what America do we want? Do we want the America where, and, and this is something I wholeheartedly believe, that if you empower black men, you make America great. Mm -hmm. This is, this is a, a hundred percent my campaign. And I know this for a fact because historically- America would die before they empower black men. Yeah, I know. But here's the thing. What about the Americans who are in position to power black men? Are you a part of that group? Why would you be in agreement with so-called racist or white supremacist or whoever you think, right? Why wouldn't you be on the side of empowering black men, especially if you're a black man or black woman or somebody that's supposed to be an ally and you're a position of corporate power to write the checks? Why aren't you intentional in that? Why are you in agreement with those people on that side? Right. So I want people to really look at themselves in the mirror and be like, damn, maybe I am a part of, you know, oppressing these bros because I have no intentionality of helping them. Mm -hmm. Or if I do help them, it's only the ones that I feel like fit marginally in these safe boxes. But that's not where change happens. Change happens when you empower the ones that aren't safe. The most frustrating thing about problems for me is that they have solutions. Mm -hmm. It's usually the opposite of the problem. It, it, the most frustrating thing about problems to me is that they have solutions. It's like, so everything that you, what you're talking about right now, what America do we want? Really, bro, America's easy. Really, really America's easy. There is a version of this country where the ingenuity never stops, mm. where the innovation never stops, where the, um, the capitalization of the the average American citizen never stops. Mm -hmm. Like the need to have the carceral system 
and incarcerating black men at the rate that they're incarcerating them mm-hmm. is overriding the need for those black men to become productive members of American society. Mm-hmm. The capitalization of those citizens, America's losing, right? They're, they're losing the country writ large. Now, the people who own private prisons and Armark and other companies like that and uh, the telecommunications companies and the bail bondsmen, all of those people are winning. But society writ large could use what those men can do. A hundred thousand And can, can use what those men are capable of even after they've gone in for a little while and then came home, mm-hmm. right? Because a lot of them, a lot of them come in hardened, but a lot of them learn lessons and they never want to go back. They could use them. They're making a choice. They're making a choice about how they see those men and what those men are capable of. America's easy. America is invest into something, get a return on that investment back. Bruh, there's not one place in the country that you can tell me that a legitimate investment into something has not returned something for you, mm-hmm. particularly when that something is people. Mm-hmm. Particularly when that something is people. So the reality of the situation is either the country is about understanding how you're going to get the most out of every American citizen, which makes everything better, right? The more people that are thinking and the more people that are educated, the more cracked we got at curing cancer, the more cracks we got at doing all this other stuff, the more cracks we got at figuring out a new economic system, a new social system, the more people that are free, full, and able to contribute, the better it is. But there's a conscious choice that is made about who can win and who won't win. And that choice isn't just being made in America writ large. We make it in our community as well. And I see all too often, like people will tell me, uh, like, like uh, people ask me to denounce Boosie, mm. Boosie from Battery. Denounce. Boosie. Give me, I give me an example of something. I give me an example of something. <laughs> Is Boosie the new litmus test? So just, I give me an example of something, right? Aggressiveness. <laughs> so I give you an example of something. So I, I, you know, I don't want to bring him up at all the time, different interviews and stuff like that. But I just to give you an example. Um, I've been knowing him. Mm-hmm. Like I've known him forever, mm-hmm. right? Not best friends. I know his brother, but I've been knowing him. Went to high school with him, mm-hmm. right? He'd be wilding. Saying stuff I totally disagree with. Mm-hmm. Saying stuff I think is dangerous, right? Right? Talk about what was said. To me, for me personally, if I, if I make it seem like I'm either better, different, more evolved, or disconnected from black men in a certain mm-hmm. way, it fractures my relationship with them. Mm-hmm. It fractures our relationship. I got to be viable at home. I got to be viable in these different places. I got to talk to them. They got to talk to me. You can't tell no more Louisiana stories if you denounce Boosie. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, but I'm just being for real. What I'm saying is I, I go, we, we got to be we got to be in simpatico. I got to be able to say, hey, man, let me say why that was a little bit. And me and him don't talk like that. But I'm just saying to people like that, my, my homeboys, my actual friends. Yeah. Hey, bro, let me tell you why I, I disagree with you about this. Let me tell you why I think you should say this a different way. And then at the same time, I also have to be able to have the relationship to where those brothers can actually tell me the same thing. So to me... A lot of this stuff isn't really about what's actually better because what's actually better is always connection. It's always understanding 100%. and it's always being truthful. Some of it is about who can look the best in front of white people, who can look the purest in front of white people, who can look the most elevated and egalitarian in front of white people. Some of this don't got nothing to do with us. Some of this has to do with how we're viewed. 
I don't want to look like I'm the bad person because society writ large looks, puts us in this box. Now, there's, there's also a lot of bullshit we have to figure out within ourselves. But what, I, what, what I'm saying is when you really care about somebody, the first thing you do is try to understand it. Understanding breeds acceptance. You know what I mean? So I'm going to always vie for communication because at the end of the day, I know who's going to be my best ally regardless. Mm. You feel me? And that's people who look like me, who understand me, who come from that same experience. So you, and, and here's the dangerous position that they, they end up putting a lot of people in is that you want me to denounce somebody for this moment, right? But you got to be a black man for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. And you never know where your life takes you. But that moment is going to follow you forever. You forever that person that did that. And they can't understand that context, right? So even trying to explain that experience to them, like, yo, you want me to denounce another black man, but I got to be a black man forever. You know what I mean? And where I fellowship and where I get along and my quality of life is me being able to fellowship with other black men who respect me, right? So there's something beyond this moment that's going to make you comfortable where it's going to make me uncomfortable for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. Why would I make a decision that decreases my own well-being, right? And we getting to these spaces where we can and I believe that we, you know, we are in an interesting space now where we can control more of our spaces and we have to start being more, I think, uh, brazen with our power. Mm. You know, they just put out the report. Black people got stock accounts, put out the report. Black people wealth is growing. Right. But mm. we don't even report the good news. We only report the bad. Mm -hmm. So it feels like we frozen in time and nothing is getting better. When in reality, I know you go back 10 years, right, to where we are now, you know a lot more successful black people, mm -hmm. a lot more, right? Like it's not even close. So we should focus on the people who have created success, that who have power, who are in position, and there should be a intention amongst those people to change the narrative. Like, no, I'm, I'm not going to have Van say that. You know what I mean? Why I won't have to say that? Because the story around everything matters. You can take somebody who got out of jail. Let's take somebody like Wallow. Wallow gets out of jail. He did his years. He comes back. He gets to speak the way he wants to because the context of understanding his character is there. So when he curses or he says something, that's 100% okay because the story and the context is understood. But we leave black men misunderstood intentionally so everything that they say is out of context. Mm -hmm. When it's like, understand them first, then everything is in context, mm -hmm. right? And that's why I tell my story, right? And I, I speak about this because I think any and everybody can be understood when you understand them. You can go sit across from a white supremacist and he tell you his story, how he was raised by his father that raised him in these ways. Then you can get how he got that perspective, especially if he never had any connection with black people and he was only raised in that culture. I understand that context. Mm -hmm. Now I'm talking to you based on understanding your context. I don't mm -hmm. have no hate or issue with you. Right. Because I understand the way you were made. Right. And anybody who understands that context is not going to walk around hating him. They be like, oh, I get it. That's why that person came that way. Right. But when you don't understand it, you're like, wait a minute. You just showed up at my doorstep racist. What's wrong with you? Mm -hmm. <laughs> now we got a problem. Mm -hmm. So I think that America has a context issue, especially when they're dealing with black men. And when we talk about diversity, when that diaspora thought is not given context, now everything you say is out of context again. Right. There's a problem with what you said. It's like, no, 
everybody has this responsibility, especially because social media is at this place where everybody is a journalist. Right. But everybody does different type of journalists. Some people do tabloids. Some people do hit pieces. Shock jocks. Shocks. It's in... We're not educated about journalism. Mm-hmm. And so you don't even know what category you fall in. Right. Right. And then the way you intake information and the way you intake people's perspective has now also be on you. If you ever get mad at a one minute clip, that's your fault. Mm-hmm. Especially if it's a two hour interview or one hour interview, you're not even going to do research to understand the context around it. So it's almost 100 percent always out of context if you don't even know what the context of the conversation was. So you're deciding to be triggered by something because you don't feel like doing the research. That's your own laziness. Right. So I got three rules. Yeah. Less ego. Call your mama mm. and read the article. Like move with less ego. I got to move with less ego. I got to move with less so? ego. So I think you need more ego. Nah, I don't. I think you need more. I, I got to move with less ego. Call my mama that keeps me grounded and read the article. Read it. Watch it before you go. I've been caught up. Before you do it, go get some supplementary information mm-hmm. on it. Don't fake expert. Mm. Don't fake expert. Don't fake rage. Mm. Don't fake rage, man. I, 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 I've been caught up there a couple of times. It I, I read something and then I'm tripping like, wait a minute. Then it'd be a comment right under there to be like, yo, this was for five hey, years Hey, man, ago. this happened. Hey, hey, just and let you know. And I'd be mad at myself yeah, for getting mad. Yeah, so bro, like, 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 hey, 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 man, I don't know if you know, but this was a parody. But that, it's, like, a, <laughs> it's a lesson to myself. Don't get angry at any, this stuff not real. First of all, we are living in the era of post-truth. You can't tell what's true and what's not. It's impossible, right? right? With AI, it's going to be even but more impossible. You can't believe your eyes or your ears. Right. Nothing is like, the truth now is going to be experience. What is truly experienced in real life that you can actually account for. You don't know a person in real life. You can't take none of what you see on social media as real. A person can create an AI avatar, go get them a voice clone real quick, and then have it read scripts. Right. And they may have their team do that and they may not even know what the goddamn avatar is saying. Right. And you may be goddamn responding to their avatar and mad at them for something they know completely nothing about. And that's the reality we live in. And that's not the future. That's the now. Right. Right. I don't know if I've seen something that was AI and it was false and it was somebody's team trying to create something so they can get views, run ads on it and get paid. Mm-hmm. How do I know? Yet yeah, I have an opinion about this person. Right. No, I'm mad at an AI avatar. I'm mad at their strategy as a team in their business model. I'm not really mad at them. So now I'm at this place where I don't take nothing on social media serious. Right. At all. So. I believe that what we need to be in, in matter of fact, I want to pivot into this conversation just a little bit more about media. And I want to ask you this question. Who controls media? Money. Who controls the money? Whoever has it. Who has the money? The people that do. Who are those people that do? <laughs> <laughs> hey, Seb, you get to five, if you ask five questions in the same trajectory, you get to the truth. So what I'm saying is, it's, I mean, it's, it's different people. It's power. Power mm-hmm. has the money. Like, the establishment of American media goes way back. It, it goes back to guys like William Randolph Hearst. It goes back to, like, it, it, those are legacy brands uh-huh. like, that, that have trickled down, right? And then you have the globalization of the media. You mm-hmm. have um, different entities. But power is the most sort of uh, comprehensive way to, 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 to answer that question mm. to me. Like, I worked in media at TMZ, I still work in media, but I worked in media at TMZ. Mm-hmm. TMZ was um, 
uh, celebrity news vehicle that was owned by Telepictures, and then Telepictures was owned by Warner Brothers, mm. right? So when you think about the, in, the 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 ecosystem there, right? So you have stars that are doing movies for Warner Brothers, right? And then they're walking outside, and TMZ is getting them. They're getting DUIs that's coming back. So what the 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 clicks and the hits are all going back to the same group of people mm -hmm. like all the whatever different groups of media companies conglomerates that run this they're finding different ways to diversify what is really people's attention their rage and their emotion i was learning how to write headlines at tmz the first headline i ever wrote at tmz was like a funny one right so what i would do particular I, I didn't break very many stories there like i wasn't like the guy that broke a lot of stories i broke some but early on, it was problematic for me to break too many stories because, like, I was on TV a lot. So being on TV a lot, and also just wasn't as good at it as other people because, like, I just, there, there were other people that were just better news gatherers than me. But I did write a lot of stories. I remember I wrote a headline, and the note that I got was there's not enough conflict in it. Mm. There's not enough conflict in the headline. Because I, I talked about this a little bit on Bootleg Kev podcast, because there has to be, because that's really a game of capitalism. Mm. There has to be something in the headline to make somebody click it. Mm -hmm. So the truth is very rarely that. Mm -hmm. The truth is nuanced. It's layered. It's uh, complicated a lot of times. Sometimes it's very direct. But a lot of times when you're talking about a situation, mm -hmm. there, there are levels to it. Um, but in terms of a headline, it has to have conflict mm. because that headline, is part of a capitalistic endeavor mm -hmm. to get you to click on that. The more people click on that, you sell ads, you sell buyouts on the site, you sell all of this stuff. There's stories at TMZ, single stories, that were worth millions and millions of dollars. Millions and millions of ad dollars in terms of how the stuff went around to different places. Millions and millions of dollars in terms of ad buys that people would, that, that people would make. Um, and just the cachet for what it is that you're doing. You could make a movie right now that costs three million, like that costs $10 million to make. The movie might make $3 million back, right? It lost money. But if the film wins three Academy Awards, you made money. Mm. You made money back in prestige, in mm. attention, mm. in perception, mm. right? And the media, what it really is, is an equation to take all of those different things to take all of those different human emotions, fear, uh, like lust, mm -hmm. um, uh, anger, mm -hmm. all of those things and turn them into dollars. Mm -hmm. And the best way to do that is the way that it will be done. And there's no soul to it. There's no right to it. Now, it, somebody that cares about, there are plenty of journalists out there that care about exposing things and people knowing the truth. Plenty of them. They're oftentimes not very rich. They're oftentimes working at places that are very small. Right. They're oftentimes working at outlets that don't have big corporate backing because with all of that comes deals and powers and stuff like that. Mm. So when I say power, when I say money controls media and power controls money, to me, that's an incestuous relationship mm -hmm. that exists now because it must. Mm -hmm. The only reason why, because it, it exists now because it must. So, the best thing you can do for yourself is just to wake up and just be like, whatever I read today, I'm not going to get mad. My, my, my anger is not worth what my action will be worth. You see something and you don't like it, 
what if you can't spend five minutes fi- figuring figuring out what you're gonna do about it, don't spend five minutes being mad. The anger don't go nowhere. Mm-hmm. It's empty calories. If you want to do something, then do something. If you want to forget about it, then go forget about it. Mm-hmm. But I'm telling you, if you spend five, 10, 15 minutes being mad, and I fall short of this all the time, if you spend five, 10, 15 minutes getting mad, you are endeavoring into the digital control that is intended. And look, I'm not acting like it's a big boogeyman. What I'm saying is, this is the way it works. Well, it's, it's the reality. Yeah, like I mean, this is a well documented system. Right, right. Where media is 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 a capitalist, you know, what I mean, endeavor. Now, it's not about truth, right? right? We, I mean, that's that's just not a hidden fact. But most people are not that well informed because media doesn't keep you well informed anymore. Mm-hmm. So most people don't have that much information about economics or real political realities or what's going on. It's just a bread and circus show for the world. Mm-hmm. And because Americans are not that informed, right, America continues to decline. But this is something that's happening all around the world. There was a documentary on a woman who worked for some news organization. I forget what it was, but she was doing a story on Nike. And she was explaining how I think they was going over the Nike camps in China, I think. Not camps, but <laughs> factories. Little factories, yeah, yeah, yeah. But mm-hmm. she said when she got over there that Nike had become like a slang for uh, like mistreatment of workers, mm-hmm. right? Um, and there was all of these stories that was surrounding, right? The mistreatment of workers and how they was getting beat and how they had to keep working. And so like, there's this complete disconnect of like how Nike represents itself and how it was seen over there for the people who actually had to work in those factories. And she wanted to put this story out there. And she said, of course, it was killed by, you know, uh, her boss. And what ended up happening, she said that all the reporters ended up having to wear jackets that had Nike on them, mm. right? And she didn't want this to, she she had wrote a memo and saying that basically like this goes against journalistic integrity for us to be wearing, you know, logos while trying to do honest reporting and things of that nature. And they wrote her a letter back like, you fired basically. Right. <laughs> and she was gone. And she was like, that's when she had seen the change in media, that media change from like this machine of uh uh, reporting accurate news to give information and keep the people well informed about stories that need to be heard or truths that need to be told to just became this money machine where corporations right create advertisement dollars for these media companies and it's just the cycle of what happens and i think what happens is anytime there's a shift when the people are not informed that the business model shifts they think that that same thing is still it, right? Like, oh, media started off like this. That's what it is. Media has transformed so many times over the years. But who's going to inform you about that? Media? Right. No. So that's where independent research and social media, but social media, you have an ocean of... It's a big game of telephone. Yeah. So you have to be super intentional about researching these things. Like, right. if I didn't watch that documentary... Nobody in my life ever told me that piece of information and no newspaper ever told me. So I wouldn't know. So if you want to be well informed today, you have to do independent research. That's that's the bottom line. There's no other way to get it. Or you have to find a trusted news network that's independent, that you respect, that isn't bought out, that you believe still stands on journalistic integrity to give you the truth. Mm -hmm. And that just doesn't really exist. Or the person at one person. of those places that you believe can yeah. happen. So it, it, I think, uh, what's the brother at Griot? Um, 
Mark Lamont Hill. Mark Lamont. I think he's been doing a good job in he's reporting. Fantastic. The Palestinian and Israel issue. But also, but 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 here's with Mark. Me and him talk very regularly, particularly on that issue. You know what the deal is? He knows what he's talking about. Yeah. He is studied, goaded in uh in Middle East studies. Mm -hmm. Speaks Arabic. He's got years in the game. He's not somebody, you know who I am? Mm. I'm somebody that's read six books on it. Yeah. That's who I am. So if you ask me something, I'll tell you something, and I, I get the information from him. I'm somebody who's read six books on yeah. it. Yeah. Like that's that, that that that's when you we, which is better than then you got people who read six articles then you got people, people who, read who read six headlines six headlines right or six minutes on but the, the only reason why I knew which six books to read was because of him mm. so 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 the reality is like I, I get that from him he's great he's qualified to talk about that and also he's also invested into the actual reporting on what's going on mm. the reality of it with very little slant. Like obviously he's a he's a he's a staunch pro Palestinian voice, but that does not ever skew the facts that he gives. Mm. You know what I mean? And so to me, there are people, there are people that that exist, but you gotta sometimes do a little work. And usually bald headed black man, <laughs> this guy, <laughs> Char you, Charlemagne, Van Charlemagne. Jones, Mark Lamont. How come it's always bald headed black man? Because we stressed out, we losing our hair, man. We stressed out. We losing. I, our, we, I just thought. I just. I started picturing. I'm like, they all got bald head. There's some bad bald head ones too. If you want to make it, you got to cut your hair. You got to cut your hair off to fit in the profile. Cause they, they must have like a. a, a <laughs> they must have. <laughs> hey, but you, I'm telling you, acceptable Shrab, avatar. Bro, you can get your jokes off now. I'm going to Turkey, baby. I'm coming back. End of this year, I'm gonna do high level conversations. Are you getting a transplant. I'm going. I'm. It's coming. I'm coming back, bro. It's over. Listen, man. I'm. I'm not one to judge, but I'm gonna judge you, bro. I expect your support. No, I'm just playing. When I, when I, I, I don't care, man. When go, I come go back, get your hair, man. Bro, I'm she, she gonna be. I'm taking her all the way back. Go I might get, get braids. Hair. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. She, I'm gonna have that. No, big... you're doing too much. You can't do all that. You I got, can't if get you the braids. Do that. You gotta get. It just gotta be a small, little, acceptable front. You can't. You can't stun on people who got hair. You know what I'm saying? For real. For y'all blessed. You feel me? That's that's a that's a scout BBL. You can't do that. That's exactly what it is. No, nah, you can't do that. They, if they if they doing the BBLs, why can't I do the BBL? No, nah, you can't do that. No, nah, that's happening, bro. Yeah, clip that up. I put that on there. That's good. Hey, what's this boy talking about? <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you straight up. I'm going to, I'm bringing this hairline back. Why? Why should I be the one to suffer, bro? Science is out there to help me. But your hair don't look like it's too bad. You're lining a little. Oh, uh, bro. But, but beyond that, is I keep it low, bro. If I if I catch me on Tuesday, dog, it's it's sad, man. Yeah, it's all right, man. It's a I, you know, situation. a lot of people go through alopecia. You know what I mean? And, and <laughs> is that that's scientific, man? I'm playing. No, I'm trying to be in support. I'm trying to support the alopecia community. A lot of people, I'll let you know, bro. A lot of people in your same boat. Like we'll start a telethon or something like that, man. Bro, listen. We'll, we'll, Jada Pick and said Pac had it, so the greats had it too. What's too? Yeah, so I think you know my pop's got a bald head, but it's it's by um, choice. He can grow his full hair, so I'm not joining this guy. I'm just saying, it's people who make that choice and that decision, you know. And I think I would just, never just be proud of it, you know. <laughs> he playing me, bro. bro. He get, you know, I could tell, bro. He get this is this is 
Oakland 19 Keys. This is the culture. I understand. You getting off on me right now. No, I'm not. Like, bro, I just let you know, bro. You know bro, what I'm saying? Bro, I'm trying to support you in any way uh, that I can. I never can. lose my hair because I only eat the finest juices. No, nah, that's not it. That's not it. I mean, I mean partially because of the, you feel me, but. What, what is this? What's this? Oh, this, this one of our products. That's just the pure moss right there. What, um, I mean, what does this do? Man, that's just going to give you the vitamins and nutrients that you oh, need. Oh, this is sea moss. Yeah. But we got um we got probably about five, six different products. They new tropics. Is this, this gonna grow my hair back? I mean, it'll start the process of making you feel better. You know? I, I'm not go I'm I'm not far selling nothing. I feel you. <laughs> but I will tell you that a lot of people they do have a nutrient issue that's going on. Right. You know, and uh, a lot of Especially things with are mental avoidable. Health. Yeah. Yeah. You got a number one, men are not supposed to stress. Right, decreases your testosterone. Mm. Right, so it's not good for a man to stress. A man gotta have peace. He gotta have calmness. At Parker, our purpose is simple: we want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more. Visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. It's in his life. You feel me? Mm -hmm. But not, nah, you know, I, I, I think you're fine, man. You're good. We're going we, we to see what's going to happen. Yeah. I'm telling you. So I got another question for you. Go for it. Do you think that Saudi Arabia will be like the, the real next go-to place? Because when we look at technology, you know, America is going to have a hard time building any infrastructure over here because it already has infrastructure. So it can't use the latest and greatest because they got to rip out what's already here. So when you look at Africa, Africa has prime position to use not only to build new cities of tomorrow, but to use the best technology. So it'd be futuristic cities. Saudi Arabia is built in, in Dubai and Qatar and all these places building in the desert. So they can build futuristic cities instantly. Where do you think the, 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 the future, right, I guess, yeah, the future cities where everybody is going towards will be? So, um, once again, if the world were really focused in on development and betterment, it would definitely be Africa. Because uh, the continent of our origin is obviously the most nutrient-rich and biodiverse place in the planet, right? Um, the the fight over Africa and its resources is emblematic of global dysfunction, mm. of the usury and the exploitation that um, has uh, defined modern mankind. And the reason why I say that is because the the condition. And by the way, this is not me saying that Africa is in bad condition. I, it's not. What I'm saying is that the true power of the continent has yet to be revealed because if you've ever visited Africa, you go to Africa, <laughs> Africans over there have amazing, wonderful societies that, that they've built. Um, and it, it's fine. It's thriving. It's getting better every single day. But I'm, what I'm talking about is the power. He's so politically correct. I'm not, I'm not, I'm trying to say what I don't, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be politically correct. What I'm saying is there's misconceptions that is motherfuckers running around there in grass skirts yeah. and huts. It's not. I'm just, it's well, I think that that perception is being corrected by all of the visits and the compiling of media that people show from their visits. But what I am saying is the continent of Africa 
and how much it has to offer the world and what it has given to the world mm-hmm. historically has uh, been, the story has been undertold and has been marginalized. 100%. Right? And so there's even more there to be had. In terms, so it should be, but it probably won't be, okay? Um, not in the near future. Saudi Arabia is different. And different places in the, uh, the, the, the Middle East are different in terms of um, like even places like Dubai. In a hyper-capitalistic world where anything can be bought, the, mo- the person with the most money rules. Mm. The Saudis can buy whatever they want. That's a fact. Straight up. Like, it, there's no, the, the, there's too much money to, they can buy the morality of individual people. They can buy mm. the, the, they can buy whole entities mm-hmm. that people that wouldn't, that wouldn't say, that, we wouldn't work with them because they killed, because Jamal Khashoggi got killed or because of how people's rights over there, or women's rights, whatever. No, whatever. They paid Cristiano Ronaldo like a billion dollars to play soccer. Mm. Like you get like it, it, it's like you know what I'm saying. Yeah, so, they could buy the damn American League and they, take all the players. They could with buy them. whatever they want, and so the reality is, like it's not about like it's about what the price is more than anything, mm-hmm. right? It's about what the price is. So, to me, the entire future in a hyper capitalist world, where only money matters. That's all that matters. It doesn't matter what's best for people. It doesn't matter what's best for society. It doesn't matter. Then, the places like that that are nutrient rich that are resource rich and have autocratic governments are probably, you're going to probably see them rise in power. Mm-hmm. That's why China's such a problem. China's such a problem because the, the fact that there's an autocracy there in China means that they can get stuff done. Mm-hmm. Right? It's, it's not, I'm not. Yeah, I'm, it ain't bureaucracy and red tape. Right. I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that like it's, I want an autocracy. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying that like, the people that don't have very much power, but when they decide at the top that they want to compete in a specific way and they want to invest and have resources in a specific way, they just go do it. That well, that's what they did. You go back a, a few decades, China was not what it is today. Mm-hmm. Nowhere near. And people would have thought China would have stayed that way. But China had made a decision. I believe uh, it was, they said part of it was the gang go. When the AI had beat the best Go player in the world, mm. that they China had looked at that, and it was a signal for them that the world had changed essentially, and they had decided from there on that they were going to be the leaders in AI, right? And they had made uh, uh, um, a uh, statement to the world saying that in twenty years, probably or thirty years, that we're going to be ahead of America in AI and technology. Now, when you're dealing with AI, you're talking about who has the most data, mm-hmm. right? So when you're talking about people that can, you know, a government that's set up in a way where it can extract data completely legally, right, in every aspect of surveillance and human reality, then they can automatically start building a society out much quicker where America has to go through red tape. America has to go through these laws. They have to go through lobbyism. And America is, America, it does not represent where we could be, mm-hmm. right? America represents corporate interests and in where we're lobbied. Sure. Right? And this is why America is not able to move as fast as anybody to else. To keep pace. Because if it's not within, like, even inventions in America, how come all of a sudden all these companies start releasing all this technology? 
That means that they've been holding on to it and they slow leaking it so that they can make money. But when one company does it, or maybe it's China that does it, and now they want to compete, all of a sudden you see innovation rise. But you've done it at a point where it's almost too late now because you can't compete with what's out there. So America is stifled by not capitalism, but uh, by monopolies. About income inequality is and one. Monopolism, mon if that's a word. Like, like it, so the, the centralization of power and people's inability to, the, the, the moment, I keep coming back to this, the moment that the life of the average American is not prioritized, everybody suffers because just in prioritizing the life of the average American, then that means inherently you have to do a couple of things. You have to create, we're not talking about people that want to go out and change the world. We're talking about people that want to work from Monday to Friday and mm. then go watch the Saints play. Yeah, on Sunday, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And so like those people, they, in order for them to be viable, there have to be industries where they work, where, like where they work, right? So right there, industries where they work. Then there have to be uh, grocery stores and stuff to feed them. Then there have to be uh, education for, their, for the, the generation after them to learn based upon the fruit of their stuff. Then you probably have to have a strong union at where they work to protect the workers. Just by prioritizing the, um, the, the average American right there, right? I'm talking about the C student so that they can work, mm -hmm. live, and have a good time so much of stuff around grows. So many other businesses and things have to be healthy for that person to be healthy. The moment that middle class dissipates and you no longer care about them, then what has to be cared about is the top 0.1 of 1% that have all the, the, the centralized wealth in the country. Mm -hmm. And once that happens, well, you're not going to care about those people, so those jobs are going to move to other countries, right? It's going to be all about profit, shareholders, things like that, which by the way, I personally believe like in the Keynesian method, meaning the power of the worker. And so the, the, the economics of the country would actually be better. Innovation would actually be better. There would be less even environmental waste. If in fact, the average life of the American was, 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 uh, was prioritized. There's no reason why that can't happen in the country as well. For a long time, the strength of America was seen in its diversity, mm -hmm. right? What we're seeing now is places with relatively homogenous um, uh, 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 demographics start to catch up to America mm -hmm. because some of the cultural issues and cultural fights that exist in those places that, that exists here don't exist over here. So um, if we talk about places like the Netherlands, right? Everybody talks about like how, how pristine their, their, their societies are. If you've ever been there, you go there, it's clean. Everybody got free healthcare. It's cool, the whole thing. Those places are so homogenous that they don't mind paying a 60% tax rate. Do you know why? Because when they pay a 60% tax rate or some, sometimes a 70, 65% tax rate, they know that that money is going to them. Because it's going to somebody that looks just like them. Mm -hmm. The thing that we have, right, that, that goes on here is any initiative that would happen, there are people asking, well, I don't want niggas to, to benefit from that. Like, why would I want them to get something? Like, why would, so we're going to invest in the schools. Okay, we're going to invest in the schools in South Baton Rouge where I'm from. I sit down and tell you right now, if you invest into the schools in South Baton Rouge, let me tell you three things that are going to happen, right? Those kids are going to be better educated. 
They're going to go to better colleges. They're going to start better businesses. And I'm not just talking about the schools. I'm talking about the trade schools that could be around those places. You're going to get more barbers, more hairdressers, more mechanics, more people that can go out there and actually make a living. And you know what? That's going to keep some of those people out of your living room. 100%. I don't care. I don't care that that would happen. The reason why I don't care is because I don't want them to have anything. So those the, so those cultural as well, capitalism, right, as well as some of these cultural situations that are going on, it's stunting the growth of the country. Not stunting the growth. It's grinding to a halt. And there's have to be somebody. And when I say someone, last thing I say, uh, so I'm not filibustering. There's got to be somebody that talks to everybody. And I mean this. When I say somebody that talks to everybody, I mean a politician. I don't care if it's Larry Jenkins Jr. from South Chicago or if it's whomever from what somebody that says, I care about y'all. And when I say y'all, I mean everyone. If I was running for president right now, if I was running for president, I would campaign with my base, but I would also be heavy, heavy, heavy in the places that Trump runs. And I would say to them, I would say, you know what? Um, when I get up here and when I win, like, like it or not, the country's going to be better for y'all too. Yeah. I, I think that's, because I think you said it a bunch of times in this, that they just, they're, 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 the, the, one of the prime motivators and drivers of the decision makers is that they really don't want black people to have anything. Right. And I have to think about how effectively true that is. Then I have to think about, I had a conversation with my brother Vince and he's a brother that did like 20 years, got out, created a multi-million dollar company, only hires felons. Uh, but he said something, he said that creativity with a lack of opportunity equals criminality. And Ooh. then I had a conversation with my brother Keenan and we start talking about what is the middle class? Middle class is basically being able to afford a household of four, right? And he introduced me to this stat that since 1990, there hasn't been any new jobs for the middle class, right? I think that- They've lost jobs though. Right. Yeah, no new job. Yeah, so right. it's a crab in a barrel mentality. Right. So it's the infrastructure of America that has Americans fighting. I think it's less about the ideology of these particular groups and more about the strength of America and what they've given to the people. The America hasn't given more opportunities, hasn't created more jobs, right? It hasn't strengthened the mom and pop shops. It hasn't strengthened environments and neighborhoods where people get the money on business because they got it, right? When we look at those, those median averages, those are decreasing across the board, right? For blacks and whites. And they always put us and say that these are our counterparts, whites and blacks, the median household. But they never mention East Indian and, or, or Asian and they're at the top. Yet we see this new range of East Indians or Indians, period, Kamala, Vivek, uh, Nikki Haley, all of a sudden, these are the new candidates that's pushed as the new minority, right? And I think black people are vibe, or, or thrown into this uh, distractive fight with poor white people, poor black people, middle-class white people, middle-class black people, while everybody else is running laps around this building, right? And I do think that we have a culture problem in the fact that our culture does not incentivize progress or growth. 
So, which is an eternal thing. That's not nothing nobody else has to do to me, mm-hmm. right? That's something that we have to fix ourselves because of our culture's education. Doesn't matter how much you hate it. There's nothing you can stop about my intelligence increasing, right? We see Robert Smith, I believe he gave like $100 million to HBCUs, right? Which is a great thing. But when we need more of those type of initiatives, that's about those that come from our communities, that come from our collective and empowering and educating us, right? And when I say educating, funding initiatives that educate, not going into research, just going into this nonprofit. I'm talking about people who's already doing it and you're funding that so that it becomes bigger. Mm. We're not doing that. So we can't really look outside of what we're not doing to look at what somebody else don't want for us or trying to do against us. And I believe that that's the difference that we have that a lot of other communities don't have. They first look internally of what's all the problems, Mm. right? What can we fix and what's the issue internally that we can fix? Then externally, what can we do about those people that's against us now that we strengthen? When you got a team, you're not focused on how good that other team is. You got to get your team together first. If we got bad defense, bad offense, you know, uh, uh, and we don't have camaraderie against each other, it doesn't matter how good they are. It's really about how good we are, right? And my whole thing is we don't need everybody. We don't need 45 million black people to be on it. We need the leaders. Mm -hmm. We need 10,000 black families to be strong, educated, that can lead the rest of the nation, Mm -hmm. right? When we look at other people, we say it's a small percentage of them that's at the top. So, and they have the power that trickles down to the rest that creates the narratives that then represents reality. So why aren't we doing the same things? Mm. So for me, I think that we have to stop existing in these ideas that somebody else even has control over us. And it's not to say that they don't exist. It's just that we need to focus on the factors of things that we can control. And we ignore our greatest allies, the people who's working for our benefit. Mm-hmm. Right? So, we have to use our media, which I think is, is, is our wealth. That's our wealth transfer is this technology age to where we can do whatever we want with it. What up? Right? Nobody gets to control your media besides if you take advertising down, you can't do certain things. But mm-hmm. who's to say that we can't prop up certain voices so that we can control certain narratives? Why isn't, when I look at the, the NAACP or I look at, it's, I ain't named too many black organizations I can name anymore, right? right. But when you see that the financial uh, 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 literacy movement is pushing and black people are getting stocks and they're investing, why isn't that propped up more? Mm-hmm. Right. Why isn't that a political speaking point? Why isn't that something that we shine in the magnifying the light on? And everybody who has a platform, every single body should be happy about this. Like, yo, they really showing up 20,000 people strong over here. Right. That's something amongst us. That's an issue. That's not a like because CNBC did it. Fox did it. Right. So that's us that not taking a movement that should be the biggest one so that we can start to change the narrative. Because they say, obviously, young black men like when they see black men that's educated and that's fly and they see a new archetype and black women that's creating businesses. Why are we making that the narrative? Right. That's a collective issue internally on how we're not using our resources and power. So let me tell you where we have synergy right now. I'm talking about the diagnosis. You're talking about the prescription. And that's why the, that's why the, the, the conversation is important. I'll tell you what I mean. Um, so post-World War II, um, the major manufacturing hubs are destroyed. Japan is destroyed. Germany is destroyed, right? Um, 
Russia's in shambles, a lot of war-torn places, right? 3% mm. of the world's population died in, in World War II. So when people talk about like how bad Hitler is or why you shouldn't play, like Hitler popped off a, um, a war that probably got somebody in your family killed. 3% of the world's population died in World War II. So what happens after World War II is for a time there, the United States is unfettered and unchallenged in its ability to manufacture, right? For a little while there, it is the, not only do we come back with the economic boost that happened from the war, right? Because of the war effort, but for a little while after that, like we were the only place that could, was really popping and had the infrastructure to, to, to do stuff, right? So you get for about 45 to maybe actually 60, maybe not even that long, 10 or 15 years of stuff happening, Detroit booms, all of this stuff starts to happen. And because that stuff is happening, some of the other cultural issues in those cities don't really matter, right? What, so, by the time you get to the 60s, that has really slowed and those places have come back. And as soon as those places come back and the United States has to compete globally with some of those places, the cultural issues in places like Detroit, in places like all throughout New Jersey, they bubble back up to the surface because now the money and the ability of people to provide for their family are gone. And what people start to see is, you know what? they really don't like each other. And if it's about somebody having less, we'll have less, right? And so then what happens is after that, you see the urban decay in the cities. You see all of that stuff. The Rust Belt develops. Now it starts to become about not who's going to be rich, but who's going to survive, okay? And so after that, we get to, like, we're, you, you have a situation like that, right? Then you get to a situation like with the HBCUs. What you just said about the HBCUs. He gave $100 million to the HBCUs. He shouldn't have had to do that. Mm. Most of those HBCUs are land-grant universities. Mm. And being that they're, they're land-grant universities, there is funding that is supposed to be historically earmarked for them, and they have been purposefully and intentionally underfunded and defrauded but not on accident, on purpose. So what I'm saying is anytime the money gets pulled away, be it because America's manufacturing kind of the, the competition gets, um, uh, gets ratcheted up or, uh, because something's being defunded for black people, the answer starts to become black people have less. Black people have less. Whenever you get into a situation about how we're supposed to do it's always give them a little bit less. And last thing I'll say about this before I get to where I agree with you at is that we earned this. Mm. Like this isn't, I'm not asking nobody for a handout. Like I, I, I'm not looking at America as having, as having a, um, as having a moral duty, mm. like, uh, to empower black communities. Mm. It's a financial imperative. It's money that's been paid and not owed. It's stuff, it's stuff that's been pulled out of communities on purpose. It's intentional redlining, intentional poverty that's been given to these people, intentionally drugs that have been plowed, intentional over-policing. It's all very intentional. Mm -hmm. Now, and so I'll, I'll bring that up just to say that those things out there exist. Now to what you said, your answer is the only way to beat it. Like we could talk about the first part of what I'm talking mm -hmm. about. We have to talk about it in order to understand like, for example, if you I say this, if you went into the doctor and you were sick and you had cancer, nobody, nobody going to be stricken with that. But if you went to the doctor and you were sick 
and you had cancer, the worst thing the doctor could do was tell you that you were okay. Mm. Because if, he, if the doctor, he or she tells you that you're okay, then you're going to live life like there's nothing that you have to overcome. You're going to go out and you're going to say, now there are two different people. One people say, oh, wow, I got cancer. I'm going to die now. Let me go do a bunch of coke, a bunch of and all of that. And then other people, like, they get after it. They go, okay, um, this is what I got to do. This is how I got to eat. This is the treatment I got to do. I'm going to beat this. Now, I'm not saying being black is a cancer. I'm not saying that at all. But I don't, want, I don't want people to take that that way. I'm speaking life and prosperity into my people. But what I am saying is the reason why the diagnosis is important is because it makes the imperative of what you're saying to do more necessary. Mm -hmm. The reason why we have to do it is because of that. I'm not asking you to do things and have solidarity with your brothers and sisters for cosmetic reasons. I'm telling you it's the only way. Mm -hmm. Like what you, I'm, t I'm, t I'm telling you right now, I'm not asking you to do it because it looks better or it feels better. I'm telling you that's the only way. And the other ethnic groups that you brought up, they do have an advantage of having immigrated here, right? And, and with immigrating to a place, there's a different economic status that you come over right. to that place. And they do with. come under as white. Right. And, and they, and you, you know what I mean? But what I'm saying is what you're saying is so true. And the reason why it's so true is because of the other part. The question is, and this is the question that I feel like you're asking and the question that we ask, how much energy do we spend on which part of it? How much energy do we spend on educating people on what went wrong? And how much energy do we spend on educating and empowering people to do what's right? Well, I think that there, of course, there has to be a... A majority of our energy has to always go into correcting the problem. Word up. I agree. Right? Because you can correct the problem without even knowing it. You can just have people working on the solution. Right. Right? But the way we get diagnosed matters. And the root of the diagnosing matters. You go to one doctor and they say, yo, you got cancer. Right? This is what we need to do. Mm -hmm. We need to put you on chemo. Right. Uh, it's going to be three to six months. You're going to lose your hair. You're going to get sick. They're going to tell you all of these different things. Um, and it can be delivered in a very depressing way. Number one. Sure. Right. To where, you know, it can make you almost give up. And sometimes they will even tell you, you know, it stays three or whatever. And there's nothing we can do about it. This how much longer you got to live. Then you may go to somebody else who's a healer. Right. Um, they don't consider themselves a doctor because they're not a part of this system where they utilize this lexicon and this is how you deliver this mm -hmm. news. Somebody say, all right, here's the issue that you got going on, right? Now, they might even ask you about your lifestyle, right? What are you eating, right? Um, and here are the adjustments that you can make. This is beatable. We've seen this before. These are everything that you need to do in order to beat this thing. This is not a death sentence. It's an adjustment of lifestyle to correct the previous lifestyle you were living in the accumulation of where it led. Right. So one of them is almost looking at this is a cultural issue. Right. Because this is the way you live. Right. And doctors don't adjust your lifestyle. They just want to give you chemo, which is damn near killing you. And it kills more people. Right. Than actual cancer. So that's why I say there's two different narratives that go on when we give the diagnosis and who gives it in the narrative around it, because what we really need is an adjustment of culture and adjustment of lifestyle, which becomes preventative medicine. Sure. So that you're not constantly coming back and we got to rally and we got to have campaigns around cancer. But we never, ever talk about the companies, 
We never talk about the products, the lifestyle, all of these things that affirming what we want. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that that's why it's it's imperative that we always go to the root, the culture, the lifestyle. So you don't have to keep coming back to the doctor to constantly diagnose you with this thing. And so my conversation is always, look, if we adjust our culture, which is preventative medicine, right, so that these things won't happen, we're never getting diagnosed with cancer in the first place. Mm. Right. And that change and people have to be I'm always open to learn. Mm-hmm. If you got something to teach me, I will I, I sit and learn. I'm not a person that knows everything. I don't know everything. I'm nowhere near. But it's this thing to where people feel like, like you said, when you think you're sure about something mm-hmm. and people who have platforms and people who are given prestige and have degrees, they they feel like they're so sure that they know everything. They feel like they're better than you. Right. And that they can't be corrected by somebody who didn't go through the same thing. Oh, you didn't get a degree or you didn't get this. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that you're right because you went that way. We see science corrected every single day. Mm-hmm. Right. So my whole thing is we have to change the way we go about diagnosing this thing. And we have to do preventative medicine so that it's not another generation saying, you got cancer. Another generation, you got cancer. Mm-hmm. I don't want to see somebody on TV tell me I got cancer, but never, ever address, hey, all right, listen, um, let me tell you what my lifestyle was that led to this, mm-hmm. right? And we don't have those conversations because corporate sponsors might be connected to the conversation of the preventative medicine. They got lead in the paint, right. they, the lead in the gas and all kinds. You, you so, know what I mean? So are we ever, ever being really honest about it? Right. So this is where this is where the power of culture matters. Right. So the power of cultures ma- matters because like I feel like what we're essentially talking about right now is. um, it, And it, I don't want to sound hokey about it, but we we have to coalesce and inspire each other, right? Mm-hmm. And people look at inspiration sometimes as this, uh, hmm, this, no, this thing that's free of confrontation or conflict. Mm. I mean, you can get inspired by losing. Mm. You can get inspired by loss. Mm-hmm. You can get inspired by the worst that you feel. Mm. Like I would say that we talked about Kobe. Kobe was incredibly inspired by, you know, the losses that he took, mm-hmm. right? Um, and by the times that he won. So mm-hmm. like when I'm when I'm sitting here and I'm talking to somebody, I don't always have to lead a conversation feeling good to feel inspired. Sometimes I lead a conversation feeling like, damn, how could it be 43 years on this earth and I didn't know that? Right. Okay, let me go get it together. You should feel, I feel like it should be challenge. Challenge, cool. So like, like how, like how, like how, like how could it be that I'm sitting down and it's people doing this and, you know, I don't know about the CMOS pills and how am I living without the CMOS pills and the, like, what, what do I, what, what am I, what's the next step? What's the next step? And that has to be not only in your own personal life, because you can do a lot for your community. You can do a lot for your community simply by raising your family. Hmm. If that's the limit of your capacity. That's a fact. If that's the limit of your capacity, not everybody got the capacity to be 19. Not everybody got mm-hmm. the capacity um, to be to Van, to, 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 Van Jones. Not every, Van Jones. Not every, you, can, you can do so much for the community just by raising, being present, and being right 100% there for your family. 100% agree. And I sometimes think that, you know, like, and you talked about it, we, we talked about it earlier. We really, we really had a good conversation on the phone about sometimes how black men feel about um, relating to one another, mm-hmm. right? And if I can make one 
ask of black men. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. If I can make one ask of black men, just when you see me, like we all standing up straight, chin to God, everything. When you see me, just see a brother. Mm. Just try it. Just try it. I don't want nothing that you got. Nothing. Even if you have an ill opinion of me, let's just talk about it. Mm -hmm. Like, you know what I'm saying? Even if we have to meet in conflict, let's leave in handshake. Exactly. So it's, it's, it's like just, and I know it's difficult because we're sectioned off. We're pitted against one another. It's all over the places. I see brothers, the brothers that you have surrounded yourself with and the people that you know, all of those strong alpha males, strong guys with strong nations around them. I see y'all getting along because you've made the decision Mm -hmm. to work together and building that community. And respect each other. Right. And there's something about each other that we respect. And disagreement is, is a, I, I, don't, I don't look at disagreement as a bad thing. It, it means that there's somewhere where we can learn from each other because mm -hmm. we have different perspectives. If we exactly, exactly alike, you don't really have much value in the conversation when I'm looking for a difference, right? When I, I want to, if I think about you know, Van Lathan and your perspective in a conversation is going to be different from mine. You're yeah. going to pull from different resources of knowledge that's going to come up to, you know, what your beliefs or what your thoughts are. That's valuable to me because I don't think that way. Mm -hmm. Right. And if I hear you say something a certain way, I'm like, damn, I think of I think about the patterns the way a man thinks. So I'm not even so much thinking about or, or putting a value in what is being said, but the thought pattern that comes up mm. and how you think. Mm. So I'm like, I don't think like that. Some people speak in stories. Some people speak in quotables. Some people speak in facts. Some people speak in statistics, right? And I'm always listening to the background that must have been in order for you to get to that point. And that to me is a value because I can learn from that. What up? And I can add that on to self. You talked about listening to Malcolm X and be like, yo, I want to, like, Malcolm X always spoke with a certain matter-of-fact tone, mm -hmm. right? You never catch him off guard. Minister Farrakhan speaks with a matter-of-fact tone. You don't see him slip up. These examples become fathers, right? I think it was Minister Farrakhan that said it. He said, a father is not just, you know, your biological connection, but it's someone who elevates you. Mm -hmm. So he said that there are so many people that look at him as a spiritual father because he has elevated them, evolved them, grown them. And when, as men, we look for fathers in different categories, people go always back to the rich dad, poor dad book. What was it? That was your financial father. He was elevating the way that you've seen things and done things and expressed things. And so that the world is always looking for a father. We have father figures now that go viral all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what you're looking at is uncle and father figures speaking a certain way. And because that has been missing, it's a value when it's a scarcity. Right. And so. I knew that I was going to be successful, not just because of who I am, but because of the times, right? And that the perspective is rare. And when something is rare, it's valuable. It's valuable. Right? Inherently, yeah. Exactly. And so when there's a problem, you got to have a solution. So when I seen, and it was funny because it was when Donald Trump became president. And I was like, oh, yeah, y'all going to need me. Mm. Y'all going to need me. It's about to get ugly outside. Yeah. Right? So now that perspective that, you are able to shine and be like, oh, that's this or that is that that you can put in that box. Now you're like, no, we need more of y'all to speak up. Mm -hmm. Oh, man, everything y'all been saying was true this whole time because now you understand the context. Mm -hmm. Right. And it kind of goes back to that thing again, context. And it was like, well, 
you were able in times of peace and so-called prosperity to ignore the realities. Word. It's not that they wasn't there. And I just kept on speaking upon the realities, even in a time of peace and prosperity, right? Whether there's Obama, whether there's Bill Clinton, no matter what's going on, if there's an underlying reality, just because we feel good about it right now, because we get to ignore right, it, right, right, right. doesn't ignore the fact that it exists. And there's some people that's always speaking on a reality, regardless mm -hmm. of how you feel now, because somebody give you a check or the president is black or we get this new black woman in position or something changed. It's like, OK, we feel better about the reality. But what matters? Yeah. So you have to respect people who keep that. And oftentimes they're seen as ahead of their time. And it's only just saying you're not ready to accept reality for what it is. Mm -hmm. And until you accept reality, you can't change it. Right. Because you don't understand it unless you accept it. Right. So I just represent that. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm, I'm going to hold the line there. I believe you told that line of constantly keeping people in reality, but being empathetic to all perspectives of reality. Mm -hmm. Right. I know when you're speaking to your co-host or you're speaking to the world or you're speaking on these. You understand my perspective, yeah. but you also bring an empathetic perspective to where you can create a bridge and a commonality. And then like when you have conversations with somebody like, what's his name, Emmanuel Ocho? Or Ocho, Ocho, yeah. Ocho, you bring him to reality. Okay, I'll say something about that. Like, that, that, so I wasn't trying to get at him like that. It's just what happened, brother. Yeah, I mean, me and him talked after. I wasn't trying to do that, but there is a moment, and, and I'm still learning. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, and I'm still learning. Um, there is a moment to where sometimes, and this is, once again, a, re a reason. When, and when I say I watch three Malcolm X clips, it's the same three clips. I have them saved on my YouTube, mm -hmm. and I get up, and I'll, like, I'll watch them, and I, I'm brushing my teeth, or I'm running, and I'll listen to the same thing, trying to ingest it, trying, trying to get it. I don't always meet the moment in the best way. Mm. You know? I insulted him. Probably shouldn't have done that. I didn't watch the full thing. So what was the insult? Um, I just seen correction. So what? So this is what happened. So he was on the show. He he's friends with Rachel, and he said that um. He said that uh. He gave an example of why he is uniquely qualified to talk to people on his platform, uncomfortable conversations mm -hmm. with a black man. And what he said was that. He is good in black areas, right? And he's good in white areas because of where he grew up. And because he's Nigerian, he doesn't have the um, generational trauma oh, man. that black people have. So he goes into the conversations FBA would love that. less, less, uh, less abrasive. I I'm sorry, that pissed me the fuck off. Like, it, 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 I, I mean, it, it, I, I don't need first of all I, I had watched all of his of his clips and i'm definitely not trying to insult him again i had watched all of his clips bruh there are times obviously i'm not saying i'm in the bed anyway where i haven't met the moment there are times when when you want to learn i want to i would have said that different or just the fact that i was mm -hmm. at tmz for so long i'm not looking down on him but i'm like in my mind when that happens like my sh like glitches mm -hmm. and i go nah man. Like, I'm like, I, I, you don't have generational trauma, so that means that you can speak about my life mm. to the oppressors of me in a way that makes them feel okay about talking about it? That's not the goal. The goal is to, it's to, it's to, the goal is to, I get, 
I get what he's, the reason why I, I hemmed it hard when you first said it, number one, is because I don't want to be a part of minimizing him. And the second thing is, I get what he was trying to say. What he was trying to say was, well, if, if somebody puts you in that position, Van, it's particularly after the death of George Floyd, there might be a part of you that has all of this deep South Louisiana animus to it, to where it's not going to be as productive or constructive as it should be. And I don't have that. So I could do that. Number one, I, I disagree that my Nigerian brother doesn't have any intergenerational trauma with everything that was going on there. And secondly, I just think it's a bad way to, to, to pose that and a, and a weird thing to say to, 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 it, it, to, a, to a black, to an American descendant of slaves. It's, <laughs> it's no point of having a black man in that position if you don't have any connection to the position. You might as well get an Asian man. You can right. get anybody you can, can get do anybody. it. That's basically what you're saying. But don't, you can't represent yourself as a black man have no connection to the experience of a black man, right? When Because then you're saying that I'm going to be your black face, right? And you, you're almost an imposter in that sense. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because now you're characterizing as if this is a black man that is connected, right? But you're saying I have no connection. So you're saying that, listen, I can give the appearance, right, of a black man having this conversation. But in reality, I have no connection to the conversation. Right. So what is the point of having the appearance if you don't have the connection? Otherwise, we'll have somebody that has just no connection. We don't need the appearance. Right. So it's not a black man having a conversation. It's somebody who has no connection to it having a conversation, yeah. which is the same as any other diverse group of people that you want to put in that position. Right. Might as well be a white man or a white woman if that's the case. I, the I, point of having a black man is having somebody who has the connection. And honestly, that's what I should have said. But I said that he was an emotional butler for white people. And so I, I like that too. I shouldn't have Sometimes said that. I'm a little too articulate. Like, I like the way you said like that. That, that, that. I shouldn't have insulted him. Well, I don't know the brother, so I'm not speaking on him personally, yeah, 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 but I'm yeah. speaking on the, 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 the principles of this conversation. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think that that is micro to what happens a lot in media. Right. Even this whole thing where, and first of all, I always want to context this. I love all my brothers from the UK and, and, and the diaspora and things yeah, of that nature. Yeah, it's not about that. Yeah, but they but we constantly see them playing black Americans, and it's like when black when media or Hollywood finally catches up to tell the stories of black Americans, they don't get black Americans to portray, mm -hmm. right? And it's it's this thing where it's like you want the black face, but you don't want you want to be the black culture. enough. You don't want the experience. Yeah. You don't want somebody connected to it. So it's kind of like. You know, it's like giving reparations to everybody but us. They don't want us to have nothing. They were I, I, like, I, I agree with that. And so, and, and so, and so, last thing I, I say, last I think thing it I was say. the brother. What? What was his name? Robert Domingo or something? Coleman Domingo. Coleman Domingo, mm -hmm. and he's a great actor. You know, and after Jonathan Majors, you know, did his Dr. King stint, you know, and they kicked him off. The Robert Domingo brother is playing. Um, he's playing who? Uh, Michael Jackson's father. They've been doing this over and over, and 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 I haven't cracked the code of this conspiracy just yet. Mm -hmm. But when you see an obvious pattern, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Then it's a reality. Mm -hmm. It's not something that a person is just imagining, right? And it's nothing wrong. Like, I wouldn't even have known that these weren't black men from America that's connected to these stories. Mm -hmm. But it's like, why is Hollywood constantly casting people? And I think the, the reality is kind of like with hip hop. We've, and, and you see this with the sisters in Hollywood that was talking about contract issues and things of that nature. And it's like, when you go into South Korea uh, 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 in Seoul or whatever, they are taking hip hop 
and they are expressing hip hop, but without black people, right? And you go to different parts of the world, they're taking the culture, but minus black people. So now the culture is being shipped all around. Everybody gets to utilize it, right? But give black people nothing. But the culture is built from our trauma. It's built from our experiences. It's built from our expressing ourselves, trying to get to some liberation. But it's almost that they mocking us. You know what I mean? Constantly over and over and over and over and over. And this is why, even though people don't like Tyreek Nasheed in the sense that they say he's divisive, but there is a very valid point that he makes about constantly keeping foundational Black American history, right, in check to be like, no, it's something the world owes us specifically. That's what, but see, that's the thing. And we, you can't just group us with the whole diaspora until we, we, we get ours. We talked rightfully. about, like we talked about this before. It's, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be something that's in, that's intrinsic, excuse me. It doesn't have to be something that's at its base divisive. It is an intellectual understanding of something, mm. right? An intellectual understanding of something. It doesn't have to be minimizing. There doesn't have to be hierarchy to it. It's an intellectual understanding of something. It's an intellectual understanding that the experience of Black American descendants of slaves here is unique. Yeah. Here. Now, I'm not, not, not the experience of our brothers in uh, England is unique there. But everybody benefits from us. I, I get it. The difference is we don't benefit from everybody else. I understand that. What I'm saying is this. This, this, is, this is what I'm saying. I'm saying... And I got a... Uh, 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 Ethiopian and a Nigerian on the team. No, 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 no. So no, we, we United are, Nations like, we, over here. We're like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm. Look, it's nothing. It's all love. I My think, Ebo brother. You like, know what I, talking it's, about? it's all <laughs> Haley Selassie it, over there. It's all love. But what I'm saying is, like, when we talk about that th that feeling of uncomfortability mm -hmm. to, hey, I would like to see Fred Hampton played by a Black American. A hundred percent. Like, you know what I'm saying? I would like to see. So when, when we talk about that, it's not. That's not to, to minimize Daniel or not to minimize any of those. Those are great people at all. It's just, it's just saying, it's saying this, it's saying. But also you want that wealth in your community. That wealth is not in our community if it's not by us. I'm saying we pay also. for it. Yeah. So, so, but, but even more that economically, like if, if it's I mean. not somebody who looks like us, I mean, not somebody who comes from our collective. That's not when, and then other people use this as a talking point. Black people is progressing, black people doing this in Hollywood. It's like, wait a minute, those are not even black Americans. Mm. So even if that wealth There are a lot of black Americans. There, there are yeah. a lot, but, I'm, I'm, but they group everything in one category, but right. we don't always benefit. But on the other side, when people want to use that as an argument for progress, we like, wait a minute, you also have to, let's, 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 let's scale this back a little bit, yeah. right? Because we're not getting those contracts. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That money doesn't circulate in our communities. So it's, it's not easy differentiated. And I think that like Tariq Nasheed's biggest argument is the fact that when, when there's an issue with Africans, you're black. But when there's progress, you're Nigerian, you're Ethiopian, you're Ghanaian, right? You win the award, it's for Nigeria. But you get arrested, you're a black man that's being discriminated. I believe that's part of the basis of his conversation and also when it comes to the package of reparations. But I understand that as well when you're talking about all right, let's say, you know, Jonathan Majors is out. Then you bring in a Domingo brother. That's not money that's circulated in the black community. You know what I'm saying? That's not our economic growth. That's not our progress. You're saying because Coleman Domingo is uh, Afro-Latino. 
Yeah, and not to specifically, yeah. you know, dial him out because I, 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 you just, I, you just, you really as an example. I'm really using this as an example, yeah. right? Um, but I, I think about that and it's like, what is that thing? Because it's like, imagine if all of a sudden there's tw- twenty black actresses, um, that get paid the highest grossing contract in the history of, you know, uh, film, but they're African women from Ghana that may live in Ghana or from the UK. Mm-hmm. That's not the black woman, the black American experience still. Right. Right. But we get grouped up all together because now you can say, no, look, what you talking about? I, don't, I ain't got no problem with black people. We can talk about do you have a problem with black Americans mm. specifically. Right. And so I think that it is a valid point when you talk about foundational Certainly. black Americans yeah. and talking about our experience. Right. Specifically. And especially when you're talking about people who get these and they're not marrying black on black. Like you talked about this, the target campaigns, go to any airport. You don't see no black families. It's something that you don't see. There's, it's like there's, a, there's allergic to it. It's like uh, after a while, it's funny. After, after a while, I'm watching the commercial. I, I watched the commercial a couple of days ago. Like I'm, I'm watching the commercial. I'm like, I, I, I was joking when I said it, but I'm like, yo, you mean to tell me like, I don't know. You don't just get up with your black wife and your two black kids and just go yeah, to Kmart. That's crazy. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, what? What's the deal? But they're pushing the idea. This is the new family. But right? they're but they're also dipping their toe into blackness. And 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 and. and he, but I think that's what Hollywood does. This is the new black America. I, but what I know, and so, it's like, no, you have to specifically send those checks to us if you want us to count that as progress. So unpopular. And opinion, that's really the whole. Something point. My, like what 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 my what my um. But also, let's do business with Africans. We doing. It's more business. It, all of this, man. My Pan- African brothers, bring me all the business. Pan African Film Festival happening in a couple of. It's 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 just Pan African Film Festival. Tap in. So, um, <laughs> you're crazy. So, um, <laughs> so particularly, like you, you like you look at this stuff. It's really it doesn't have to be what what Tariq and what even the the Ados people are doing. The first time I ever heard this was like once again from my dad, like. You know, I, I call home. Oh man, Obama got elected. Obama got elected. It's amazing, amazing. My dad goes, "Great, that's amazing." Mm. I'm like, "What's wrong?" And my dad was like, "See, if that motherfucker was named Malcolm Johnson Jr. and he was from South Louisiana or, or, or Miami or Chicago or someplace like that, he's like, then y'all have something." Mm. He was like, I don't, I'm not, I'm not stepping on you, son. That matters. That's a black man. But he goes, but, and I was mad, because mm. I'm, I'm thinking at that point, I'm 28. I'm like, yo, man, yeah, you want to just why, count why, it as a like, win? Why, like, why, why does guy always? Because he always coming through with some uncomfortable wisdom. Yeah. Like, why are you always raining on it? Why don't you just like say, hey, son, and then the, and cry with me? He's like, I'm. He's like, that's that's. He's like, that's. He's like, boy. Every time he bought that something else, yeah, I knew it was what they was call going always to. wait for the other sh- uh, shooter. Yeah, and, he, and he's like, I'm just, let, I'm, I'm letting you know. He's saying what he's saying is, I get it, but it's different. Mm-hmm. It's different. It's like, yeah, I, like I get it, but it's different. And there are certain markers and certain things that mean different things. And a real sort of, um, I don't know, um, reckoning on that is when. Somebody whose lineage is connected to that runs the mm-hmm. Now, once again, Michelle Obama was in the White House. So Barack Obama's kids and, and stuff like that. And I'm not trying to establish hierarchy. What I'm talking about and what you're talking about 
is a specific need for a specific people. And those needs are different. The beauty of the diaspora is that we're not the same. Mm-hmm. And just to be honest with you, it's like, you know, it is true. It, it is a situation that, uh, you know, I, I, I have conversations with some of my African friends and they'll drop their nuts on you. Like, they'll, they'll, like you know yeah. what I mean? They'll talk about, and I love that. That's the strength of their culture. Mm-hmm. The, the strength of their culture is that they, they understand. I talked to one of my men, one of my homeboys, very, very, very prominent guy, great with money, right? And he's talking about the fact we're all sitting around, we're in the backyard, he's talking about the fact he's from Ghana. So he says, the thing with me is, you know, growing up, when I went to the doctor, it was a black doctor. When I looked at the president, it was a black president. When I looked at the police, it was black police. Right. When I looked at all of this stuff, he's like, so my worldview on all of this stuff is different. He's explaining, even though, and this is the guy that's handling the money. So he's explaining, even though we are the same, there are differences. And so if there are differences, then there are specialities in that that mm-hmm. need to be adjusted. And, and different I, ethnic groups. Different, and I don't but, think but nobody see, should have a problem with that. No, but when you Tariq, grow up Tariq, in Tariq, a, in Tariq Af- is a firebrand, though. He likes yeah. to get it going. But so. when you grow up in an African country and everybody around you is, is black, but you know that they got the same background as you, right? You're not saying, like, it's not going to be a black American that's going to come and become president of Ghana, right? Or mm-hmm. Nigeria, right? Or, there was a meek me trying to shoot a... Uh, Remember when Meek shot a, a video at the at the president house? Oh yeah, yeah. They oh you, you talking about when they stole his phone? <laughs> well, no, they stole his phone before. Oh, they stole it before. They, they they it was the same trip. They stole his phone, yeah. and then he shot a a, a video in the president's house. Mm-hmm. They wasn't having that. Man. Yeah, nah. But see, those be the cultural differences. But and 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 this doesn't really speak towards to me. It don't speak towards the the divide between blacks and Africans. It's more so about them. And how they're contexting everybody and putting everybody in the box. Mm-hmm. When black Americans would be like, it's like some uh, uh, African brother moved to your neighborhood after 20 years. And, you know, the, somebody comes and decide to give them a grant. Right. And it'd be like, we don't count that as you giving us a grant. We count that as you giving an immigrant a grant. Right. It has nothing to do with me and that person's relationship. But I'm telling you, you still haven't done nothing for us yet mm-hmm. because that doesn't count to our stats. Right. And this is what they're doing. And they're not doing anything for us, but they're grouping in the whole diaspora and saying, y'all should be happy of their progress. Mm-hmm. And they're saying, but that doesn't represent ours. Right. And shout out to my Nigerians because they get money in America. They do that thing. Nigerian is a wealthy group in America. They get into the paper. Wealthy you know and also about? incredibly educated. Yeah, incredibly educated. That's why I work with my, my Nigerian brother over yeah. there. I didn't even know he was Nigerian for a while. He hid that fact from me. Damn. You know what I mean? <laughs> just play it. Shout out to him at you. <laughs> no, but I, I, and I, and I really want us to understand that when we having these conversations, it's not divisiveness between us. Mm-hmm. We're speaking on how the system, right, is really creating divisiveness between us because you're stepping in. It's like you have issues in corporate and, you know, they say, well, hey, you're the radical black man. We're going to get another black man instead. Like, no. That's not you uh, 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 um, now warming up to black people. That's you finding somebody who's safe that you can put in position that you can control. It's a trick bag. Yeah. Right. It's a, it's a big old trick bag. So it's like when, and, and this is something that I, I want us to constantly continue to push. When we talk about black Americans, foundational black Americans, when we talk about whether you believe that we have African lineage or you believe that we are Native Americans or you believe that we are Moorish Americans, Right. Our specific plight has to be dealt with when we talk about us creating unity and us creating bridges across the diaspora. 
that's a completely different conversation. Right. It's that's just, something that's its that, own thing. Yeah. We're saying that now we've gotten to this point where, you know, we want to create those connections because I believe that we should 100 percent do business with Africa. Africa is a growing continent and the countries in it are getting this investment and everybody around the world knows that Africa because they got the youngest population, because you can go build these futuristic cities over there. Right. You see the CIA is doing a whole tour in Africa right now. Of course. So Chinese as well. There's no reason to not work with our African brothers. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I believe that this is the greatest opportunity in the now. If we wait 10 years from now and to realize this is going to be too late and we go complain about everybody else who went and created opportunities and partnerships. Mm -hmm. It's the best opportunity on the planet right now. Take mm -hmm. our specialties, take our opportunities, our knowledge and go over there and help create business, help create infrastructure. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. But we not going to let y'all get away with the same trick bag and make it seem like y'all making progress with us mm. when y'all always go try to outsource somebody else to play us. That's how y'all play us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Bruh. Triple entendre. <laughs> All right. This has been a super high level conversation. Yes, sir. I'll be honest with you, man. I'm glad I came through. I'm glad we Me finally too. got it done. Yeah. Brother. I'm it took us. It took us. Took us. Took us some while. Took us some while. <laughs> <laughs> I had to go through some loopholes. To get this brother, I had to I had to get somebody who was in uh, Barack Obama's old cabinet. That's not true. You know what I mean? To hey, reach I was out on to his like press you, secretary you, you, that knew somebody that when used you, to work at TMZ when that he knew somebody the, that now work at Spotify when he, when he started that knew a white guy I was on the road with, with, you know what? When she hit me this week, I was like, I don't care whatever day you talk about it, I'm going to be there because we've been had to have yeah. this conversation. I got one last question for you. Go for it. Is hip-hop still hip-hop? Like when you see somebody like uh, Playboy Cardi, mm -hmm. is he hip hop, right? And I ask that question because hip hop has evolved so, evolved or devolved so far from what its original culture and expression was. Does it still get to be added into the continuity of what hip hop is? Or is it this new genre of music that hasn't been classified, so it's just been thrown into the box of hip hop? So let me tell you why it's difficult for me to answer. It's difficult for me to answer because the fundamentals of hip hop music, I'm less, uh, I'm less knowledgeable on. I, what I know is that music evolves and expression evolves, but a lot of times I hear stuff and it don't sound like rap to me. It don't sound like hip hop mm -hmm. to me. It sounds foreign. It, it, it's so influenced by other things. Because remember, it, it, you know, some of these people are listening to craft work. They listen to all kinds of different things, different things from overseas. And that, that, that can elevate a genre, right? Mm. When you hear late registration, Kanye goes, goes against John Bryan to play keys on late registration. And so if you listen to Portis Head or Fiona Apple or any of those other, you know, alternative uh, things, Tom York, any of that stuff, you hear it. But it's, it's it's the underlay of this musicianship over the beats that you got, the rhymes that you got. Very familiar cultural expression. There is a point where I get to stuff and I just don't understand it. I guess the question would be if you ask like Ninth Wonder or if you ask like Pete Rock or if you ask like any of those guys, if you ask Sway from there in, in Northern California. I'm uh, going to be exact. Uh, like one of the most knowledgeable guys. If you ask Premier, the question would be what they think it was hip hop. 
because they're so knowledgeable in the music, in uh, the sonic profiles. They can say, well, let me tell you, like I interviewed Manny Fresh. I interviewed Manny Fresh and Manny Fresh was telling me about New Orleans bounce music. Mm. And the culture where I'm from, and I'm from Baton Rouge, but we all listen to bounce music, South Louisiana. The culture where I'm from is so distinct. Mm -hmm. It is. Y'all be calling each other B-words and yeah. all kinds of stuff. That's, that's, that's less in Baton Rouge. That's kind of a New Orleans thing. That's but, a New Orleans thing. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's love. But um, they are cousins. But it's like that, when I listened to him talk about it, he was telling me about their influences. And their influences was, it was this very, very bass-heavy New York stuff. And they took that stuff, mm. and y'all can go listen. This is what Manny said. I'm not saying that New Orleans Bounce was a derivative of, 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 of New York stuff. He told me that. And I would have never thought that. I thought that stuff would have come from some of the up-tempo type of New Orleans South type. I would have never thought that that is. But he tells, he's telling me the beginnings of it because mm -hmm. he's one of the fathers of it. Um, and so I can't break it down like that. All I know is it don't feel like hip-hop to me. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? It don't feel, because even when the genre expands, trap still felt like hip-hop, right? Right. Um, because I, I think it was still expressing yeah, the culture. Right. It's that like a lot of this stuff still felt like hip hop. Like you can part it can be party music and still be hip hop because it's still creating curating a vibe for it. It's still expressing. When you listen to some of this stuff, it don't even feel like it's coming from our culture at all. Whereas it doesn't, it feels alien. It doesn't yeah. feel like nothing. I'm, I'm not trying to, by the way, I sound so old. I'm not trying no, to. I don't think that that. I think it's it's funny. I don't. I think it's up to date when you give commentary. People always say, "Oh, we just we're doing an observation on what it is today, right? Right versus what it was." So you can, because if 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 you were in a coma from 1990 to 2000, goddamn 23, and you woke up and somebody told you this is hip hop, you oh, it's not. It's 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 like it's a bunch of niggas. And it'd sound. be a lot for you to have to explain to be like. It's, this is what happened along the way. Like if hip hop was a child that grew up and it went through all of these phases, mm -hmm. right? This phase would be considered something completely different. So it went through a hip hop phase. You probably would have said, right? So give an example. Like so, when Thug when when Thug first came out, uh -huh. I didn't get it. Yeah. But then the more I listened to Thug, yeah, the more I was like, oh my god, like Thug feels like an old school blues singer in a way. His voice is the instrument, mm -hmm. and so it's like. So even all the stuff he was doing, it sounded very familiar right. because of like the the blues music and the stuff that I would listen to down south. It, it, it feels like that. Then there were people that were influenced by him that did bad right. versions of it. Yeah, taking and a then route. it just became syllable. Yeah, but over see, really really say, dark beats, and I I kind of don't get it no more. But that's why I can say somebody like Thug. So you take trap music, take things of that nature. It's still expressing the culture from a different perspective. Right? It's almost like the Atlanta perspective or the New Age Atlanta perspective. Some of these people be like, I'm trying to be a rock and roll star. Mm. Right? But everything always gets thrown under the umbrella of hip hop. So even when you see things that, you know, when they go all the way out and they intentionally do it differently, but their record label still categorize it as hip hop. So now hip hop has to take the hit for anything and everything. Anything that's that, any message that's almost that anything that black people does. Right. You know what I mean? And being black is not to say you hip hop. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's a and that's why within. we don't get those distinctions. Yeah. And then we don't distinct from the 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 industry, which is the business of it, which is completely different driver of what the expression of it, because now everybody has to monetize their platforms and what they speak about 
And so they learn the science of I have to make a song like this versus this what I want to say. Right, right, right. right? right so right, those right. become two completely different things because hip hop was about people going in there and trying to get as real as possible and trying to be themselves as much as possible and then making a record off of that. But now it's like you, we, we scientists with it. Mm-hmm. So when I think about somebody like Thug and some, some of the new cats, they're like scientists. They go in there and be like, yo, this will work. Let me experiment with this. And they look at what works and then they go and repeat the formula. Mm-hmm. And they, they, it's like they hacking, right? Right. Versus making music. Right, 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 right. right? right. So I, I, I think of it as something that has morphed into more of a science, right? Than more of magic. The more of magic started than off as magic. Yeah, 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 yeah. You have a problem with that? Not necessarily. I listen to all kinds of different hip hop. I think that uh, I think that we should have these categories where we name it something different, though. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. You feel me? I think that if we if if we decide to start, because when you say hip hop, you think about something that start off from a found where you you ideally start off a foundation of these values mm-hmm. that represents us as a culture, right? But when you have things that are anti culture, right, or things that just for money, or things that the industry decides that hey, this gonna work good in the algorithm. It shouldn't be, in my opinion, considered hip hop itself, mm. right? Because you can rap and not be hip hop. Sure, right? Like that's like people rhyme in all categories of music. Yeah, Beyonce be rapping, right? Yeah, it doesn't mean that this is a rapper per se, but you can be a rapper and not be hip hop. We see that in country. We see that in all sort of things. So I just believe that it's important because hip-hop represents the culture mm. good or bad right. right when we export hip-hop they think of that as black people right right and it's like no that's this person's campaign that put up money behind this that think this work in this time that they want to influence these white kids over here that feel like it works on tiktok because people go dance to it right right, right right or they feel like because it's anti-hip-hop and a person is going against the norm of what may be masculine or paint your nails black or whatever it is these other children who feel socially distant as well and awkward, they're going to relate to this because they're anti-establishment. Right. So it's like everything shouldn't just be thrown under the bunch, especially when people are specifically being anti-hip-hop on purpose. It shouldn't also still be called hip-hop. Right. I wonder what... That's interesting. That's actually fascinating. I had never even considered that, but I'm telling you, for me, it's like when I when I think about the... I, I rarely, bro, like there are new artists that I listen to, but... I mean, if I was to bring up title and and I'm listening to, right? I, I, I'm listening to 400 Degrees this morning. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I'm like it, it, it's like the the stuff that I'm listening to now. Like I'm really in my old era. Yeah. Like it's it's well, we listen to things that are nostalgic to us, and this is why people are doing all of these remakes of movies and songs. Is because if 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 you grew up and what you a boomer. What, what generation? The boomers were born in the 40s. <laughs> they were born in the 40s and the 50s, bro. Love that. Bro, love bro I was just, born in 1980. Love that. What? <laughs> <laughs> God. How come y'all tell me this was high-level jokes? Yo, I was, this, this, like, I was this trying, God. Well, I'm, I'm a boomer. To... The boomers is 1945. God damn! <laughs> I was just trying to categorize you. Correctly. My bad, brother. No, but but what I was saying is they say scientifically, right? They done these studies about music, and if you, the the music that you grow up with is what you're most connected to, mm. right? So people do these remixes of sounds because it, it connects them to the music. Put you back. I was growing up, 
it, it brings you back to that feeling. It brings you back to that nostalgia. Mm -hmm. So now there's a lot of nostalgia music out there because sure. they realize you can sell that to a group of people and at least a certain group of people go connect to that. They're going to listen to it. They go spin it. We can make money off of that. Right. right. And that's why the mixtape era was so beautiful to me because that was a time where rappers get to go in there and they said what was on their heart. They right. said what was on their mind. They was going based on, yo, this is my talent. This is my skill. I want to out-rap. Lil Wayne came out and he was like, I'm going to pick everybody beat and, just, and I'm just going to go crazy. And punish them on it. That was a different era. Now, they don't even truly get to express their real thoughts because they're worrying about the numbers. Right. Right? So it's less based on the expression. It's less based on the art and it's more about the numbers and about the business. Mm -hmm. And that changes music and what it is. So... We like things from our era because we connected to it. Right. It doesn't make you old. There's going to be a certain time when this generation is going to like things from this era. They're only going to listen to Thug exactly. and Cardi. Yeah. And it's because it becomes harder to like something new because you don't have a connection to it. Right, right, right. Right? You, you, you're already, you know, um, you know, ingrained in who you are. And so you're like, nah, I don't connect to this. Unless you purposely try to keep yourself young by staying up to date and forcing yourself to listen to these things to connect to the perspective of this era and this generation, mm. which which I do, because I, I don't want to be outdated. But then sometimes stuff goes so far where it's like, I don't even want to connect to whatever feeling this is. Yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Like if hip hop goes through some weird, well, here we, we are there. Hip hop goes through weird demon rock era, right? Mm. Which where a lot of rappers are at right now. Yeah. I don't want to connect to that. Yeah. I understand what that is. It's anti-establishment. People are like, Corporate society wise, people are against the government. So anything anti-establishment, people are for, right? Candidates, uh, music, brands, whatever, they push that out there because they know the feelings. They study the people and this stuff is based on quantitative data now. Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, being outdated, right, is not a real thing. It's just I'm in connection to things that, that are nostalgic serve from me my era. And that, that I'm, I feel you. Yeah. I get it. But I want to thank you, brother, for coming on my no show. No problem, man. Having this high-level conversation, young man. I appreciate That's you. That's a workout, baby. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Y'all got it. What is this? I got it popping over here, man. That's a, that's a workout. We in, woo, went around the world and came back again, man. I really appreciate the conversation, yes, brother. Sir. For that's real, the high-level experience. Appreciate man. you, brother. Thank you for constantly pushing the envelope out there um, and, 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 and just being the outlier. Appreciate it, man. You know I mean, I think where your, where your voice exists, you exist in between these worlds. Mm. You feel me? And you get to see stuff on that side and tell it to this side. Right. Sometimes you like, okay, I see what they thinking. Then sometimes you be like, listen, I know I was cool on that last subject, but on this one, y'all tripping. Right, right, right. You feel right, me? Right. And we need people like that because you become a bridge. I appreciate that, bro. Yes, sir. Appreciate it. Peace, family. This has been your high-level conversations. Tap in next time. So, in my opinion, right now, to influence politics, you'd have to be a system breaker. Uh, the political system that we that we adhere to now is so deeply entrenched um, and so geared towards power and maintaining that power that to make an actual change, you would probably have to be someone that was a disruptor on the side of a politician or someone that could in some way uh, command a large enough group of people to hold politicians accountable directly 
by moving people to move their votes other places. Um, if you get inside the political system, you're beholden to a donor base. Uh, you're beholden to a bunch of different rules that at this point just don't, to me, incentivize uh, people's power. So I would say the best way for someone to really will political power is to be someone. I want somebody. I want you guys to look somebody up, a guy by the name of Leonard Leo, who started uh, this far right institution called the Federalist Society. This is somebody who leverages political power in an insane way by putting politicians in different places and getting them to do what he wants them to do by making them who he wants them to be and by controlling things from behind the scenes. Um, because once you become the figurehead, you got too many hands out. So I think we need uh, a Leonard Leo that's black, a mover and shaker that can wield that type of power that's behind the scenes on the side of somebody and that can actually be advocating for us who doesn't have to take the hits on CNBC or Fox News or CNN. Um, I think that we need um, all different varying, as he put it, uh, a diaspora of intellect and media that represents different perspectives um, and never just one. You know, I think he's somebody that can be in the room, uh, but also have you know, a rooted perspective and what the streets think, what the culture think, you feel me? Or an elevated perspective, you know, of what somebody like me may think about it. I think in that moment where he had with Kanye West, I believe he was trying to, you know, be that perspective in a room so that media wasn't damaging. And instead, he wanted to create that moment to where he made sure that he wasn't going alone to get along, but he felt passionate, really deeply passionate that what Kanye West was saying wasn't the right message to push. Right. Whether you agree on whatever side that you want to and what you believe that Kanye West was saying about us being slave, that part don't matter. But we do need black people in media that push that line. We do need black people that you know, may bring up somebody that you may not want them to. And that may be a counselable offense to the powers that be, but they're willing to toe that line. And he's done that over and over and over in his career from having Riz Islam on and, you know, a multitude of different things where people then targeted him in his career. But if you don't have people that do that, <laughs> you know, then you only get this one perspective of safe black media. And we don't need that. We need disruptive. We need truth tellers. We need people that do have passion and that don't hold their tongue. Regardless if you believe they're right or wrong, we need representation of that diaspora of thought or the diversity of thought. And I think he's somebody that represents that. I, I don't think that, you know, um, I always disagree with him at all. I often, you know, say things and, you know, I might call him or I might send a post and he knows that we disagree. But he's willing to have that conversation. Everybody's not willing to have that conversation. Some people are afraid of disagreement. Some people are afraid of fellowship and conversation after a disagreement. And he's not one of those people. You feel me? So I think that it's important to have people that are, you know, that may be able to excel and be high up in media and don't have and don't mind being corrected or at least having a conversation about correction. I think how we want to be portrayed by the media is... Uh, a community that represents people with varying different lifestyles, varying different values, varying different ways to accomplish things. We want to be seen as individuals 
um, and as people. And we want essentially our humanity to be uh, accessed and um, unrecognized in a way that reflects who we really are, because we know who we are. Like we see the best of ourselves every single day. We see ourselves trying, we see ourselves trying to help, we see ourselves trying to empower each other. But typically, uh, the media's cultural ignorance of black people and really most other cultures besides the, uh, the dominant white culture is to the degree that they don't know when they're hurting. Uh, they don't know when they're off. And even when they do know, the sensitivity isn't there for them to care about authentic portrayals. Example. There's a level of power that you can attain in America where incompetence or insincerity is tantamount to evil. To where you're doing something wrong or you're doing something uh, uh, fake, you're so powerful that the impact on people is incredibly significant and it might as well be evil. People die, people get thrown in jail. I think the media is in that bag. I don't think, I think with other groups, they care about how they portray those groups. They care about the truth of those groups' experience. And they have more cultural education on those groups because they interact with them more. I think from what I've seen is one, they don't really care whether or not something hurts our feelings. We're not important enough to them. And then number two, they don't know what hurts our feelings because they're not invested enough into who we are or what it is that we do. We're not seen as a part of Americana enough for that to be a thing. So because of that, you have a double whammy of misrepresentation. Um, so I think what black people want is just to be covered as people. And I think what the media wants is to cover them as black. I mean, I think anything can be righteous if the integrity of what it's supposed to be uh, is protected. Uh, media, you know, is content. Media, you know, depending on the owners of media or the, the, the person who controls that platform depends on their intentions and the system that they set up around those values and intentions, right? If it's money-driven, then I don't think it can be... If, it's, if media is money-driven and controlled by money, it cannot be righteous. Um, and it's not to say that you can't make a profit with it. But I'm saying when that profit, right, gets in front of principles, then that's when the morality is out the door. Because you may stop a story because it may mess with the money, but the whole foundation of principles that you are building your reputation and your brand on is based on actually pushing those kind of stories. So you have a false sense of trust with the people when the money is really controlling you and not the truth and the integrity. But I think that it's more so about people and the owners of media taking it upon themselves to be intentional with making sure that the principle and the truth, right? And this journalistic integrity is the highest priority and not the profit. But at the same time, I want people to understand this. High level conversations is conversations. That's what it is. I want everybody to always fact check us. I want everybody to do their own research. Um, I have conversations with people to get different perspectives and different opinions, right? Um, I'm not saying the one that's sitting in this chair is the right one. I'm not saying that was the wrong one. I'm not saying I agree with it or disagree with it. It's an opportunity for us to bounce ideas and perspectives off each other. And the goal of high level conversations is to make you think, right? 
Um, I think the the, the brother uh, Van Lathan, I think at his heart and at his core, I think he's a good brother. And he's just like every other black man in America and every other black woman in America or every other brown person that's working to make a way, right? And to build a career, to, to live a certain quality of life and figuring out how do I infiltrate, how do I be in position while at the same time bringing my morals with me, right? Everybody don't have to agree. You don't. You don't. A lot of people don't agree with me. And there's people who watch this that disagree, but still watch it because they may disagree, but they're not ignorant. Right. Um, and they're not intolerant of different views and different opinions. And I believe that when we stop taking things so emotional and so personal, then we can actually get somewhere because you can work with people that you disagree with for a common cause. Right. And somebody like Van or anybody else that's in positions of media, I can work with you. We don't have to agree on everything. We don't have to agree on anything besides you know, the fact that we can be mutually beneficial for each other of some sort of value. And I think that we as a diaspora have to stop taking things so personal all of the time. And then I think we'd be able to build. There's not that many media personalities that get that many views or impression or have that sort of platform that's even respected. So while we're making videos going at each other or conspiracy videos or videos that always trying to throw the next person under the rug and make ourselves look good, you could reach out for a conversation, right? And then sometimes you got to be patient. That person may be busy or that person may not want to talk about that subject you want to talk about yet. But that doesn't mean that you throw a tantrum and then we start going at each other. Like, I think that that's weak, right? And I think that that decreases the power of what media is in the first place. So I believe that we have to be in a mature place in order to use media in its correctness, but it requires patience. Otherwise, we become our own pressures because we use our platforms against each other because we only. And, and here's the hardest thing about success in black America. Is that. Your biggest critics, right, is always going to be your people. Always. And I think that we need to. Um, start with uh, empathy first. We need to start with understanding first, right? If you have the ability to reach out to that person, reach out before you say anything about them. I believe that that should be the goal. Now, I ain't saying we that's what we go always do or what we always have to do. Sometimes we can comment on things that's public and give our opinion, but it shouldn't be from this place of vitriol. It shouldn't be from this place of hate. We shouldn't just be trying to capitalize on bringing somebody else down. There should be a code of conduct and integrity on how we use our platforms. And that's something for you to think about. Not it's not on me or anybody else to force on you. You have to think about the type of person you are and what you do and all your values in connection to the way you utilize your platform.
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.